sit back and relax. It is time to listen to the old-time radio daytime shows. We hope you enjoy the program. Standard of California, on behalf of independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations throughout the West, invites you to Let George Do It. The Corpse That Took a Powder, another adventure of George Valentine. Personal notice, danger is my stock and trade. If life's tossing curves you can't handle, you got a job for me, George Valentine. Write full details. Dear Mr. Valentine, they say that if you think about suicide twice, you won't go through with it. Well, I've thought of suicide over and over again. Tomorrow evening, I'm going through with it. Unless by then you can find some way of freeing me from this horror and the fear that's driving me to this. Hurry. Please hurry, Mr. Valentine. I need somebody's help so badly. I need somebody's help so badly. I'm desperate. And it's signed Marsha Palmer, Afton Apartments 4A. All right, Brooksy, we'd better get on our bicycles. Wait a minute, George. Huh? Well, don't you think this note sounds... Well, a little hysterical, offbeat. Yeah, that's what I meant. Come to think of it, let's change that to motorcycle. Well, I meant something else. Why don't we telephone the Afton Apartments? Tell the young lady just to stay put till we get over there. Uh-uh, Angel, too much of a chance. Suppose we aren't persuasive enough. It might rush things along. Well, still, I It think... may not be easy to explain a great horror of fear in so many words on the phone. Yeah, well, maybe you're right. So come on, Brooksy. There's only one way to tell. Excuse me, Mother. Oh, oh, young man. You nearly frightened me out of my wits. Oh, sorry. We just wanted to get to one of those bells. Oh. Funny how you fall into a routine, miss. Uh, first, I shine up the mailboxes in the vestibule. Then I work on the brass around the buzzer. Yeah, well, that's a very nice system, but... A little uh... intelligence doesn't hurt, even if you're only a scrub woman. Oh, no truer words were ever spoken. What was that apartment number again, George? Of course, I haven't always done this kind of work. I wouldn't be doing it now if I weren't at liberty. But when you've got a job to do, you do it the best you know how. Yeah, you're so right, Mother. But how about letting us at Marsha Palmer's bell? Miss Palmer? That's what the gentleman said. Hmm. Yeah, I've been worried about that girl the last few days. Worried? Why? Oh, you know how it is with people's appearances. You can always tell. She's afraid of something. Yes, sir, afraid. Uh-huh. Well, we'll try to take care of that. Which one of these bells do we ring? No, oh, you don't have to press the bell. Just take the elevator up. It's self-service. It's the third floor, 3A. I know she'll be glad to see friends, the poor soul. 3A? Hey, are you sure it's 3A? Young man, I haven't worked here for a long time. I have. I should know where the tenants live. Of course, I'm only a scrub woman. All and... right, Mom, all right, sorry. 3A it is. What's the matter, George? Nothing. I just think more than ever we ought to hurry. Maybe Miss Palmer has thought of suicide once too often. Here we are, George. 3A. Yeah. She's just got to be in, Brooksy. Well, that's a good sign. I heard somebody moving inside. Good. Hello? Oh. Uh, Miss Palmer at home? I haven't the slightest idea. What? 
Well, I've been trying to work up enough nerve to find out that very thing for myself. Well, you certainly should be in a position to know. This is her apartment, isn't it? Huh? <laughs> Look, did I meet you people somewhere with Marcia? Here at my place at a party, perhaps? Hey, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is this your place? Well, that's what the lease says. Uh, the name is Glenn Stratton. I'm a commercial artist when I work. Well, where does Marsha Palmer live? Right over my head, just like an angel. Apartment 4A. Sorry. It seems we got the wrong information. Yeah, there's nothing wrong, is there? I've been worried about Marsha lately. She hasn't seen herself. Yeah, I know. Afraid of something. That's exactly it. Come on, let's get upstairs, Brooksy. Oh, if you see her, old man, would you tell her that her persistent suitor would love to have dinner with her? The charge will be a dollar for ten words, Mr. Stratton. All right. Come on, honey. No use waiting for the elevator. Mr. Stratton is quite a boy. Any minute you expect him to step back into Esquire. Yeah, that's right. I wonder why Mother, down in the vestibule, gave us a bum steer about the apartment number. If anybody, she should know where people live in this place. Well, let's be charitable and say she's slightly pixelated. This must be it. Here, Angel. I'd better try it again. Obviously, Marsha hasn't any fear of the outside world. The door's open. Miss Palmer? Let's try the living room. Did you say living room, Brooksy? She's... Yeah, that stuff all over the front of her isn't red ink. Oh, George, maybe we better... Ah, Brooksy, don't touch. But This I... is a deal for the police. Anyway, she was considerate enough to leave a note right here by the gun. Oh. What does it say? Please forgive me. I hope this doesn't hurt anybody too much. But I really can't go on any longer. Marsha. Oh, maybe if we'd come sooner. She must have a telephone somewhere around here. Usually they belong on desks. Oh, maybe it's in the bedroom. Oh, if we only knew what she meant by the fear that was driving her to this. There's a lot of things we don't know about Marsha Palmer. There's the phone on the bed table. Oh, yeah, good. I don't know how I'm going to explain this to Lieutenant Riley. Hello, Riley's office, please. This is Valentine. It seems simple enough to explain, but when you're all through, somehow you don't believe Oh, hello, Riley. Yeah, me. I'm at the Afton Apartments, 45 Lorraine. Yeah, I know you're happy to know where I am. Now, look, a client of mine, Marsha Palmer, has committed suicide. Okay, okay, I know it's a big town and you can't go poking into every suicide, but... Oh, sure, I could report it through the ordinary channels, but believe me, there's something offbeat about this case. It... Okay, if you don't want to bother, I'll just take care of this myself. Okay. Well, I guess we can expect a lieutenant, Brooksy. Good. Now, let's get inside and see what we can find around here. Well, I don't think I'd like to look at her again if I can help it. Well, just take it easy, Brooksy. I... I don't think you're going to have to look at her. What do you mean? She isn't there. But that's impossible. I know. She, she couldn't have just walked out of here. And the note's gone. Oh, Riley's going to love this. Well, anyway, the gun is still here. There's something I'd like to know right now, Brooksy. What do you mean, George? Do I or don't I have a client? Well... And if I do, where is she? Dead or alive?
Oh, hey, you. You're the janitor here, aren't you? I'm the superintendent here, if that's what you mean. Oh, I'm sorry, Chief. Uh, not that I believe anything like this happened, but uh, did you notice Miss Palmer leave the building within the last few minutes? Oh, the model? Oh, whatever she was. Did you see her? No, and I've been working on this lawn for the last half hour. And if she did, I certainly would have... Young lady, did you say whatever she was? Skip it, Chief. Now, did you see anyone else come out carrying, a, say, a large bundle and driving off with it? Nobody. This is a very quiet time of the day around here. I see. Hey, look, who are you people, anyway? Say, I want to talk to that elderly lady who cleans the halls for you. And have you understand that I do every stitch of work around here myself. That's why it's so neat and clean. But we talked to a scrub woman when we came in. In the flesh. We don't have a scrub woman here. The way I keep this place, you can eat off the floor. But I just... We have no scrub woman. Valentine, aside from being a cop, I'm trying to be a logical, understanding man. When you tell me there was a girl sitting in this chair when you came in and she committed suicide, mm -hmm. natural curiosity makes me ask one simple question. Where's the body? We don't know. Stop repeating yourself, Miss Brooks. But she was there. Mm -hmm. And while you were telephoning me in the bedroom, the corpse walked out on you. Well, I don't know why I should let that upset me. That sort of thing happens every day. Well, it happened today. Well, what about this letter she sent me, Lieutenant? And there's the gun, still on the desk. Valentine, half the people who write you should be rounded up with a butterfly net. The uh, gun, Lieutenant? Yes, we'll look at that right now. Careful, like, so we won't destroy the all-important fingerprints in this amazing case. There. Do you see what I see, Mr. Valentine? <sighs> yeah, yeah. Not one shot's been fired. Mm-hmm. And from the looks and uh, smell of this murderous instrument, I'd say it hadn't been used in weeks. All right. All right. I admit I'm stumped. And this is the gun the girl who isn't here used to commit suicide. Yeah. How do you know she was even dead? Did you examine the body? That's not fair, Lieutenant. You know you're not supposed to touch the body. And where is this, this female Harvey who loves to polish mailboxes and doorknobs, but who doesn't work here? Don't rub it in, Lieutenant. But I'm going to find an answer to this. Oh, it's all yours. I'm going to have one of the boys track down your Miss Palmer for you, but if you ask me, my friend, somebody's taking you for a ride. Well, if you ask me, my friend, it's Marsha Palmer who's been taken for a ride. We'll return to tonight's adventure of George Ballantyne in just a moment. Meanwhile, a word about conservation in your car. If you're not getting full gasoline mileage from your car, better have the spark plug serviced for dirty, chipped, or cracked plugs. Often waste as much as one gallon out of every ten gallons of gasoline. That's throwing away quite a bit of money, even if you buy only ten gallons of gas a week. To help your spark plugs do their job... And they do have to fire a million times in every thousand miles. Get them cleaned and reset. For this money-saving service, depend on the men who have a reputation for expert car care at standard stations and independent Chevron gas stations. If your spark plugs have given you 10,000 miles of service, you'll be money ahead by getting a new set of Atlas Champions. These spark plugs are precision-made for accurate timing full-flash sparking, trouble-free service without fuel waste. And you can get Atlas Champion spark plugs at independent Chevron gas stations and at standard stations where they say and mean 
We'll take better care of your car. And now back to tonight's adventure of George Valentine. Well, a young model threatens suicide, so you darn quick get over to her apartment. But she's already dead. You go into the bedroom to call Lieutenant Riley on the phone, but when you come back, the body isn't there at the desk anymore. All of which makes no sense at all, but... If you're like George Valentine, you find yourself face-to-face with, of all things, a theatrical agent. No, 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 Max. None of the ladies in these pictures is the one I'm looking for. Oh, what are you saying, Georgie? Every one of these ladies spent the better part of their lives scrubbing floors in front of audiences. Yeah, I'll take your word for it. But Edna you... Tremaine. Look at her there. In one place, she spent two full acts on her knees scrubbing floors to send her son through medical school. Uh-huh. And then, in the third act, when he's the president of the same medical school, he passes her in the corridor. You don't even recognize it. Pathetic, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I'm all choked up, Max. But will you listen to me? Uh, wasn't I all the time? No, I told you I feel pretty sure that someone hired a woman and a darn good actress to play the part of a phony scrub woman at the Afton Apartments. Today. Ah, how can you be so sure she was an actress, Georgie? A phrase she used, Max. She said she only worked there because she was at liberty. Now, that's a theatrical term. You know that. At liberty. <laughs> oh, I hate those words. The more I hear them, the more money I don't make. Come on. Come on. Think hard, Max. I described it to you. She has a thin, hatchet-like face with eyes that try to smile at you, but you couldn't quite believe it. Wait a minute, Georgie. I got a few more pictures. People I ain't used for years. I'll let you see them. Hold it till I call my secretary. <laughs> Who am I kidding? I ain't got a secretary. Oh, oh same old Max. Hey, there's room for ten bucks on the expense account if you can be of help. Must be down here in this drawer. Here, take a look, Georgie. Okay, all right. No. no. Uh, that one, it wouldn't be. Very versatile. Well, it's strictly burlesque. Hey, hey, wait a minute. Who's this? You recognize her? She's a one, all right. What's her name? Where does she live? I'll get you that information in a minute, sir. I'll just get my secretary... Max! Yeah. Who am I kidding? Oh, I used to have a secretary. Anyway, on the back of it, it says her name is Amy Randall. Address? Hotel Raleigh, character parts, all dialects, glad to audition, age over 21. <laughs> they all say that. Okay, thanks, Max. I think I found just what I want. I don't know... How you found out where I live, Mr. Valentine. And I don't know what you want from an old scrub woman. Do you mind if I hold your hand a minute, Mom? Now, young Such man, I... Such soft, well-kept hands. Not the hands of a scrub woman. Huh? Come on, Amy, give it to me straight. I know all about you. You're an actress. Oh. <laughs> and I thought I played my part so perfectly. Oh, that you did. You did that. You deserve three curtain calls. But come on now, who hired you to be there just when we arrived? When you've been out of work as long as I have, Mr. Valentine... You don't ask any questions. Fifty dollars for an hour's work is a lot of money. Who was a man? He never said. He gave you a check, didn't he? No, it was all cash. What did he look like? Well, he he was rather short and stout. Uh-huh. And he had just a kind of fringe of gray hair on his head. Yeah? Told me he saw me on the stage once and looked me up. He said he was playing a practical joke on somebody. I just had to say I was worried about Miss Palmer and put on an act. Uh-huh. For a moment there... 
Didn't you really believe I was a scrub woman? Didn't you? <laughs> I told you before, Mom, you were slightly terrific. <laughs> you don't know what it means for me to hear you say that. And you don't know just what kind of part you played in a little drama today. What? But then again, that makes us even, Mom. I don't know that either. All right, all right. If that's the way it has to be, the three of us will sit down here in the lobby until Miss Palmer gets home tonight. I don't know why you're here at all, Lieutenant Riley. I thought you were convinced that this was all a weird joke and somebody was taking George for a ride. Well, uh, <clears throat> uh, practically your own words, Lieutenant. Valentine, I can handle you alone. And Miss Brooks, I don't have too much trouble with you either. But when both of you gang up on me like this, I... I... Yes? Well, the truth is we haven't been able to find the Palmer Dame all afternoon. And I just didn't put one man on the job, but six. I covered all the places she usually hangs around, too, and nobody's seen her. If you just stop blustering and pouting, Lieutenant, I'd like to say thanks for coming back. Yeah? Well, I'm not doing you any favors. Every time you get a case like this, I get a headache. Let's say I'm here just because I can't afford to buy any more aspirin. Well, how do you figure it, Lieutenant? Somebody went to a lot of trouble to hire an actress so she could create an appropriate atmosphere for the so-called suicide. I know, Miss Brooks, I know. Lieutenant, Lieutenant Riley. Stratton, I told you the first word I got about her, I'd let you know. Oh, thank heaven you're still here. What's the matter with you? What happened? She, 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 she's up there. Huh? Miss Potter? Up where? In her apartment. She, she's sitting there at the desk. I thought for a moment she'd speak to me, but she didn't. Okay, she, don't she didn't. fall apart. Let's have it in clear, simple language. And words are small syllables. She, she's dead. She killed herself. No question about it now. She's good and dead. What were you doing here anyway, Stratton? I, I thought I heard footsteps, so I came up. You see, we'd, we'd had a little argument last night. I just wanted to tell her I was sorry. What kind of an argument? The kind two people have when they love each other. No reason for it, but... I don't know when you want to make up for it. Suddenly, it's just too late. All right, Stratton. We'll talk about that sometime later on. But why the fake suicide this afternoon? And then to come back here tonight and go through the whole thing for keeps? Hey, this might mean something, Lieutenant. What's that? There's a smear of blood on the light switch over there. Oh, I must have done that. You see, it was dark and fumbling for the light. I, I must have touched the desk first. Didn't even notice it because as soon as I this saw... This just... gun on the desk, the one Miss Palmer used. Have you ever noticed it around here before? Yeah. I told Marcia she was a fool to keep it around. But she had a license for it. And she felt she was safer with it. Any reason why she should write me a letter like this? Go on, Stratton. Take a good look at it. Marsha's handwriting, all right, I'm sure of that. I, I, I can't understand what she could have meant. Didn't you yourself say she seemed af to be afraid of something? I said she looked as though she did, and she really did, but I, I still don't know what it could have been. Okay, Valentine, I know there might be a lot more to this, but for the time being, I've got to accept the obvious. Obvious, he says. Miss Palmer wrote you a letter threatening suicide. She went through with it. That's all we've got to work on for the time being. Oh, uh, Stratton. Yes, Lieutenant. Be at headquarters at 10 in the morning. We want to get your story down straight. That happens to be a very convenient hour for me, Lieutenant. You see, I'm unemployed. Oh, uh, one more thing, Stratton. Yeah. Marsha was a model. Where did she work? Oh, she modeled clothes for a 
big firm downtown called the Mold Modern. Uh-huh. Which brings me to you, Brooksy. Huh? I fail to see the connection. We'll talk about it later. But you also have a date tomorrow morning at 10. Yes, Miss Brooks. I'm Miss Gavron, the head model here. Well, I know you're going to think I'm just perfectly mercenary. Aren't we all? I mean, to be here at the Mode Moderne the first thing in the morning after reading about what happened to that poor Marsha Palmer. Wasn't it perfectly awful? Yes. It was quite a shock to all of us here. Well, I thought there might be an opening for me here. After all, I'm a perfect 12, and I've had loads of experience modeling. You can check with Mr. Gillespie at High Style Incorporated or Mr. Farbstein at the... Well, even if Mr. Wyatt were here, he's the head of the firm, you know... I doubt if this would be the right time to talk about taking Marsha's place. I think he was more upset than any of us about what happened. Well, like I said, wasn't it perfectly awful? The paper said there was a note. She was afraid of something. That I don't believe, Miss Brooks. You don't? Marsha and I were quite close. She wasn't afraid of anything. She was always happy and cheerful. Especially yesterday when we had lunch together. You don't say? I even asked her what there was to be so happy about. Oh, she said it was a joke. And she'd tell me about it some other time. A joke, huh? Isn't that just perfectly... Awful. Now, if you'd like to leave your name... Well, I would like to talk to Mr. Wyatt. I'm afraid you can't. He won't be in at all today. He's being honored at a luncheon at the Commodore, his club. How perfectly exciting. He even has a picture in the paper. Oh? Here. Oh, my, he looks so friendly and chubby. (laughs) (laughs) Marsha and I call Mr. Wyatt Cupid. Oh, but never to his face, if you know what I mean. Shall I tell him that you'll get in touch with him, Miss Brooks? Oh, but definitely. Well, your little interview at Mode Modern, Angel, only makes this case screwier than ever. Well, as soon as I heard about Mr. Wyatt and saw his angelic countenance in the paper, I thought he might fit in somewhere. Yeah, short, chubby little man hired our actress friend to play scrub woman. Oh, he fits in all right, but not with the facts. What do you mean, George? Just a minute, Brooksy. Let's go and see Riley, see what he's got out of Stratton. Oh, Valentine, I, uh, I've been expecting him. Good morning, Lieutenant. Oh, yeah, Lieutenant. Oh, so, so. Well, here's the way it stacks up this morning. The medical examiner goes along with the suicide theory. Gun, fingerprints, everything. Stratton here tells a straight story. Thank you, Lieutenant. So that's about it for now, Valentine. Uh, just one thing's been puzzling me. Yeah? Stratton, apartment 4A where Marshall lived has exactly the same layout as yours in 3A, hasn't it? I, I suppose so. You know these apartment houses, not much imagination. But you said you fumbled for the light switch. And got blood on it because you were over at the desk first. That's exactly what you said, Stratton. Well, I I suppose so. I I don't remember. Three of us were there when you said it. Now, why did you have to fumble for the light switch? It's exactly in the same place in Marsha's apartment as in yours, right next to the door. Well, maybe I I didn't explain myself just right. You were planning Marsha's body at the desk where it was and the gun, too. No, no, you're wrong. That's what you wanted to do in darkness. Then you put on the light and went running downstairs. That's why you... Hold it, Valentine. Hold it. I'll take it from here. Look, Lieutenant, you've got to listen to me. That smear of blood on the light switch put you square on the spot, fella. Now, the less you say now without a lawyer, the better. I'm holding you on suspicion of murder. Well, you'll have to pardon us. Brooksy and I have a luncheon date at the Commodore. Huh? Huh? Have we? 
Oh, oh, yes, yes. Oh, wait a minute, Valentine. I want to talk to you Maybe about... Maybe you're I... happy about this way this case washed out, Lieutenant. But I'm not. Come on, keep talking, Mr. Wyatt. I... I... I don't know what to say. I should be inside in, in the ballroom, Mr. Valentine, ta- talking to the fellows. How can you even think of your silly club now, after everything that's happened? All in all, it was a pretty elaborate job, even hiring a character actress to build suspense. Yes, I, 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 I tried to think of everything. You did? Oh, it was a clever stunt, all right, getting Miss Palmer to write that letter to me. It amounted to a suicide. I knew I couldn't afford to overlook a thing. I, I'm sorry. Sorry I ever got involved in the whole mess. <laughs> Okay, Mr. Wyatt, don't take it so hard. You better get back to your luncheon. And, uh, oh, yeah, go easy on the cream chicken. George, I'm still reeling. Yeah, I can see what you mean, all right. I know children can be children. But a grown man like Mr. Wyatt... Oh, not a mere man, Angel. The new president of the Liars Club being honored at the Commodore and all this. <laughs> Fantastic. You see, Brooksy, he had to have the tallest story ever heard for this inaugural. And he probably would have had. I'll say. A suicide that wasn't a suicide. A missing body and all the trimmings. He knows all the names, facts, and answers. But still, there he was, free and unfettered to address all his fellow liars. Boy, can you top that one? Not at the moment. But maybe Marsha wouldn't have been murdered at all if Mr. Wyatt hadn't dreamed up that gag. No, Brooksy, we can be pretty sure she would have. You read Glenn Stratton's confession. He was insanely jealous. He was just waiting for the right opportunity. Thinking back, it makes me shudder, George. To fool us, Marsha went down to Stratton's apartment, probably laughing at the joke. Then he killed her and brought her back upstairs. Yeah. Wyatt must have cooked up the deal with his favorite model down at Stratton's apartment. That's why Wyatt told the phony scrub woman it was 3A. Darling, Riley's never going to forgive you for leaving him up in the air, not knowing whether he had the murderer or not. Yeah, but I had to talk to my client, Brooksy. Client? Well, can you think of anybody else in the case I could pin for a fee? Except the biggest liar in the world? (laughs) George, I have an idea. Hmm? Let's present him with a bill that will make even Mr. Wyatt scream, It's a lie! It's often the little things that make your day a good one or a rough one. The simple business of starting your car, for example. If it's obstinate and gives you a bad time when you want to get going, it can add up to a lot of irritation. For fast starts every time and wherever you're driving, just try Chevron Supreme gasoline in your car. This premium quality gasoline is climate-tailored, specially adapted to each different climate and altitude zone in the West. Day or night, summer or winter, you can depend upon it for fast starts. And that's a saving, too, of the power in your battery. What's more, Chevron Supreme gives your car smooth acceleration and extra power for rugged hills. Get a tank full tomorrow at any standard station or independent Chevron gas station where they say, and mean, we'll take better care of your car.
next week, when you tune our way for another adventure of George Valentine, you'll hear... Hey, look, Barney, what was the idea of dragging me into this doorway when that car came up? Boy, Mr. Valentine, did you see him turn around and beat it when he started getting to work, What huh? works? What happened? Oh, we figured you might be followed when you left the Swedes, so the Bearcats were ready on the roof with ash cans, bricks, cans of garbage, stuff like that. Boy, they let him have it. I suppose I should say thanks. Ah, nothing to it. Say, uh, what'd you find out about Danny? Oh, nothing much, kid. Except that there are at least two characters who do anything to keep me from finding out. Well, don't you worry. They won't. Not with the bear cats on the job. adventure George Valentine has been brought to you by Standard of California on behalf of independent Chevron gas stations and Standard stations throughout the West. Let George Do It stars Robert Bailey as George with Francis Robinson as Claire. Wally Mayer appears as Lieutenant Riley. Tonight's story was written by David Victor and Herbert Little Jr. and directed by Don Clark. Also heard in the cast were Jacqueline DeWitt as Gloria, Tony Barrett as Glenn Stratton, Gwen Delano as the scrub woman, Ralph Moody as the janitor, and Harry Lang as Max. The music is composed and conducted by Eddie Dunstetter, your announcer, John Heaston. Listen again next week, same time, same station, to Let George Do It! This is the Mutual Don Lee Broadcasting System. There's a common phrase that's being kicked around in your house and mine more and more every day. And that is high cost of living. Sound familiar? I'll bet it does. I'm sure you've heard mother and dad mention it more often than once. And you will undoubtedly hear it many more times as the days go by. Now, just in case you're hazy on exactly what it means, let me give you a rough idea. It means that the cost of your clothes and food has gone up to a point where the family budget has become somewhat strained. Well, that's one of those things. And you can't be expected to increase the family income. But there are some things you can do to help. For instance, take better care of your clothes. When you come home from school, change into old clothes before you go out to play. Take care of your health, because doctors and medicines are expensive. Eat well, but don't waste. Take your full share, but eat all you take. Try not to ask mother and dad to buy you things you don't actually need. Make the best of the most of what you've got. Try to be more than usually careful of your school equipment, such as paper, pencils, and so forth. Make them last and go as far as you possibly can. Remember that all members of a family must pull together at a time like this. So do your share. For a wash that's deep clean, sparkling clean, use deep cleaning Oxidol. Oxidol is deep cleaning. Deep cleaning. Deep cleaning. Oxidol's own Ma Perkins. You know, ladies, especially today, with all the promises about this new wash day product and that new wash day product, the exciting news about deep cleaning Oxidol is of utmost importance to you. For deep cleaning Oxidol washes clothes deep clean, 
sparkling clean. It reaches deep down in the fabric and washes out the gray dirt left in by the leading wash day suds. The leading shortcut suds. Poof the women in amazing washing demonstrations. And I'd like you to hear from Mrs. Eugene Wessenbach of St. Bernard, Ohio, who saw this demonstration. Listen. In this washing demonstration, they used my clean clothes. Well, at least I thought they were clean because I had just washed them with the leading suds the way you're told to. Then they washed those clothes over again, this time with deep-cleaning Oxidol. You should have seen the dirty wash water come out of those clothes I thought were clean. That dirty wash water showed me Oxidol really can get out the gray dirt left in clothes by those leading shortcut suds. Thanks, Mrs. Wessendorf. And ladies, I predict you'll get a big surprise, too, first time you use deep-cleaning Oxidol. See for yourself how much dirt Oxidol can get out of your clothes. And for the biggest surprise, look at the clothes themselves. When you use deep-cleaning Oxidol, your clothes look white and bright. Clothes feel soft and fluffy. Clothes smell sweet, too. Yes, clothes look clean, feel clean, smell clean, because they are clean with deep-cleaning Oxidol. Yet, Oxidol is truly safe. Deep clean clothes stay brighter, new looking longer. So don't wash clothes with suds that leave dirt in. Get clothes deep clean. Sparkling clean with deep cleaning Oxidol. Oxidol is deep cleaning. Deep cleaning. Deep cleaning. Ask your dealer for Oxidol today. And now... For Ma Perkins. Well, the cousins may have made their first mistake in their campaign against Ma and the family. Cousin Sylvester, you know, has been trying to get Faye interested in him romantically. Though, of course, his real purpose is to defraud Faye of her money. But the other night, Sylvester's thin veneer of politeness cracked. And the bad person he really is became completely visible. And poor Faye was beside herself with dismay and astonishment. Will Faye and Ma now learn the truth at last about the cousin? Well, right now it's the cousin we join. Ed and Sylvester are alone in the lumberyard office. And Sylvester seems sunk in gloom. Let's... Hey... How many times does a fellow have to speak to you, son Sylvester? Wake up. You'll say something, Patsy? Yes, I said something. I said it looks like rain. You should go over and close the doors to the shed. We don't want Cousin Ma to come back here, find all the lumber floating around. <sighs> go and close them yourself. You've got all your arms and legs. What? What do you mean talking to your old daddy like that? What's got into you anyhow, son Sylvester? You've been moping and groaning around all day. Listen, Popsy, uh, are you very much in love with this stupid one-horse bird, Rushville Sander? Have you ever considered the idea of pulling up stakes and moving on, hitting our real town? Moving away from Rushville Sander? Moving away from here? Oh, this town's getting to where it gives me a good pain. They, they, they pull in the sidewalks at 9.30. How about trying Kansas City, Popsy? They say everything's good in Kansas City. Now, you listen to your daddy deliver a few words of advice, you ignorant knucklehead. Huh? We got it good in this town. We 
got it better than we ever had it before in our whole life. If we're just one step from taking over here, this sweet little old y- lumber yard yet, as soon as we can sell good old cousin Ma Perkins on the idea of retiring, I say nothing to you being just one step from getting engaged to little old cousin Faye and her $50,000. Oh, uh, Faye gives me a good pain, too. Faye gives you... Sylvester, look at me. Hmm? Son, this is your daddy. You ain't gone and tipped over the apple cart, you crazy hooligan. Because if you've gone and tipped over the apple cart with little cousin... Ah, be your right, stupid. I said, Faye gives me a good pain, and and, and, and she does. I'm I'm a human being. I I, I got feelings. And the, the feeling I got right now is that cousin Faye gives me a good pain. Okay, son Sylvester. Spill the bad news. What are you going and done now? Two days ago, you was making bets with me how you'll have the engagement ring on little Faye's finger before Labor Day. But now you're talking about Kansas City. What have you gone and done, you dope? Uh, look, who's calling who a dope? How, how about that, that little deal of yours, Popsy, in Alaska, huh? Where you started swiping stuff from your very own partner, and he got the U.S. Marshal after you, Mr. Roland C. Dunkelman. Don't you mention the name of Roland ah. C. Dunkelman. You know the name of Roland C. Dunkelman gives me a condition which, which I can't eat for dinner for two days. Well, and don't go around calling people dope. So let's hear now how you're so brilliant. What have you gone and done to Cousin Faye so now you got yourself in Dutch? Well, who said I'm in Dutch? Your daddy says you're in Dutch. You've been in Dutch all your life. You mentioned Roland C. Dunkelman to me, and I mentioned a name right back at you. That little girl, Marietta, the one Shuffles took up with. At least Roland C. Dunkelman don't have my address where I'm living, so he follows me to Rushville Center. But Miss Marietta, what's her name, certainly followed you to Rushville Center. We hadn't told lies and lies and lies till we was blue in the face. Our name would be mud with Cousin Ma and everybody else in this town. So come on, fat boy. How did you queer yourself this time with Cousin Faye? I can still patch it up if I want to. Don't start telling lies to me. Just yesterday you was telling me how in all your life you never went out with a classier girl than Cousin Faye. So skip the alibis and skip the build-up and get down to brass facts. What did you go and pull now? I... I think I made my play too fast. Honest, Popsy. In all my experience, it was never set up so good. Ever since springtime, I've been taking her out. So polite. So respectable. Letting that little punk of hers, Paulette, walk all over me. Spending big money giving her nothing but the very best. And and for the little punk, not nickel ice cream cones, jumbo ice cream cones, a dime. I never so much as held Faye's hand. We get home and, and she invites me in and... Is it for a little dancing, Popsy? And, and maybe a little hugging while the lights are low? No. It's for a glass of milk and a cookie in her stupid kitchen. And, and all the while, she tells me what a great dancer I am. Every time I call her up for a date, sure, oh, sure, a pleasure. Oh, Cousin Sylvester, you're so nice to me. Brass fat, please. How how long can a guy stand it? She, she's a cute number, and I'm I'm human. I'm knocking myself out being a regular movie hero. 
And... Well, so, finally, we're at the country club. She feels swell. We walk outside. I, I get the idea. Maybe I've been treating her too easy, see? Maybe that's why I've never got the first base. So I make one little teeny move in her direction. That does it. She hauls off and smacks you a good one right in your stupid fat chop. Stop calling me names. You ain't heard nothing yet, son Sylvester. I got names for you, which even I myself ain't invented yet. So what happens? She balls you out? Worse. Worse? She looks at me real mad, Potsy. Then she runs back into the country club, right to the clubhouse. We're at the country club, see? And, and by the time I can chase her, she's ducked into the ladies' room. And she's got that snooty Gladys Pendleton guarding the door. And that Gladys Pendleton, huh? She got it in for me for some reason or other. She says she'll give me one minute to get out of the club or she'll call the manager. Now, now mind you, Patsy. Later on, I got Faye on the telephone back home. Or, or she wasn't sore no more. She was, well, still, you might say, distant. I, oh, I can't figure that kid out. Okay, son. The reason you can't figure her out is... You ain't got the brains to figure out the time of day. So you want to move to Kansas City. Let me tell you something, son Sylvester. We ain't going to Kansas City. You're going to do something else. And you're going to do it quick. And you're going to do it right. If you mean I got to apologize, I apologized on the telephone until I've made myself sick and tired. No, son Sylvester. Apologizing is just the beginning of it. You're going to do something else. That, that's a very dirty look you got in your face, Potsy. It, it, in case you're interested, I don't do nothing crooked. Not even for you. My record's as clean as a whistle. You don't do nothing crooked. Outside of stealing $300 from girls named Marietta. And then leaving a clear trail so they can follow you. You don't do nothing crooked except swipe $2,000 from them saps, Willie and Evie. Only it so happens what I got in mind for you, son Sylvester, ain't crooked. In fact, what I got in mind for you is going to keep you straight. In fact, you might even say it's going to put a ball and chain on you, Sylvester, and you're going to do it, and you're going to do it right, and you're going to do it quick, like today, tonight. What, uh, what do you mean? What do I have to do? What you've got to do is like this. You've got to take your hat in your hands and get down on your knees. You've got to get the Cousin Faye to give you ten minutes of her time. You're going to that little girl, and you're going to say, Cousin Faye... Please, let's get married. I can't live without your Cousin Faye. Get married? Get what? But I still got a chance to get the money away from her without getting married. I ain't sure I want to get married. That's all right, son Sylvester. I'm sure I want you to get married. You ain't got the brains to run around loose, son Sylvester. Now, you go ahead. Get Cousin Faye on the telephone right this minute. Make a date with her. And, son, I'll 
be the first to congratulate you. Ladies, if you have a really big wash to do each wash day, you will especially welcome deep cleaning Oxidol in the giant economy size package. For you'll find that this giant economy size Oxidol will do almost any family's wash for a whole month. Yes, just one giant economy size package of Oxidol can do a family's wash for a whole month. And what a wash you'll get with this deep cleaning Oxidol. A wash so sparkling clean you can see it's clean, feel it's clean, even smell it's clean. So for a wash that's deep clean, sparkling clean, ask your dealer for deep cleaning Oxidol today in the giant economy size package that does most any family's wash for a whole month. And so Sylvester is going to propose marriage to Faye. And what will Faye decide then? Well, Faye gets some advice. From an unexpected source, tomorrow. But now this is Charlie Warren inviting you to listen again tomorrow to Oxidol's own Ma Perkins. Same time, same station. For a wash that's deep clean, sparkling clean, use deep cleaning Oxidol. Oxidol is deep cleaning. Deep cleaning. Deep cleaning. Michael, Sheldon Leonard, Ben Alexander, Dick Stabile and his orchestra, and starring Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. Well, we find Dean and Jerry in their apartment. Dean is separating the morning mail. He doesn't bother to look at the address. He just smells the envelope. If it smells of perfume, it's for him. If it just smells, it's for Jerry. <laughs> he opens one letter, reads a line, and then glances fondly into the mirror. Jerry. Jerry, come here. I'm busy, Dee. I'm fixing the electric blanket. Well, what for? I thought the man who came yesterday to fix the television set fixed the electric blanket, too. Well, he got them mixed up. Last night, every time I turned over, the Goldbergs fell out of bed. <laughs> Jerry, don't tell me the blanket uh, works like a television set. Yes, it did, Dean. When I woke up this morning, the two kids from next door were turning my nose, trying to make my face come in clearer. Jerry, you pulling my leg? No, you must have your garters hooked to your shorts. <laughs> Listen to me now. I want to read a fan letter. You don't need to read it to me, Dean. I know what it says. Dear Mr. Martin. You're wonderful. I adore your voice. I dream of you. I sleep with your picture under my pillow. Jerry, how did you know? That's how I feel, too. <laughs> Jerry, I hope you don't mind my getting fan mail. After all, we are partners. That's right, Dean. 
Do you remember when we teamed up? I called myself Jerry Lewis, child star. Yeah, and I was trying to decide whether to be a singer or a fight announcer. And to this day, you haven't quite made up your mind? <laughs> remember, Jerry, how when we became partners, we took the oath of allegiance? I, Dean Martin, take Jerry Lewis to be my lawful partner. And I, Jerry Lewis, take Dean Martin to be my lawful partner, in sickness or in health, until Milton Berle do us part. <laughs> you know, just thinking of it brings tears to my eyes, Jerry. Read my mail to me, will you? All right, Dean. Gee, here's a long envelope. It says from City Hall. This looks important. It's from the Child Welfare Department. Dear Mr. Martin, it has come to our attention that you are working in clubs after 10 o'clock at night with your son professionally known as Jerry Lewis. Oh, they're crazy. You're my son? Gee, why didn't you tell me, Dad? I'm not your father. Come, come, Dad. What did you do with Mother? Jerry, I'm only six years older than you. How could I possibly be your father? Your private life is your own, Dad. Jerry, please. Let me sit on your knees, Daddy, just once before I turn 24. Oh, Jerry, stop it. This letter here, that's serious. Look what it says. You are violating the child labor laws. Kindly bring your son to the Child Welfare Board immediately. Failure to appear will be met with an injunction closing your nightclub. Gee, Dad. I mean, Dean. That'll ruin our act. Now, we'll just take your birth certificate over there and prove you're over 21. You got a birth certificate? Well, I got a birth certificate. If I tell you I have a birth certificate, I have a birth certificate. Why, everyone who's born has a birth certificate, and you got the nerve to ask me if I have a birth certificate. <laughs> have you? Well, no, no. <laughs> now, we're in trouble, Jack. Let's go to the child welfare office. Once they see you, then they'll realize you're not a child. Coming, Daddy. Now, don't, don't act silly now. We're going into the Child Welfare Board. Gosh, look at all the kids. Just sit over there on the bench. I'll get to you in a moment. Here, Jerry. Sit right here. Okay. Move over, will you, little boy? No. I'd like to sit down. Well, sit on something soft like your head. <laughs> You like a poke in the nose. Oh, Jerry, cut it out. He's only about six years old. That's the best time to fight him. <laughs> oh, okay, pal, sit down. Got a cigarette? Don't tell me you smoke cigarettes. No, I chew them. Chew them. Do you like to chew? No, I like to spit. <laughs> uh, tell me, little boy, why are you here? I put butterflies in the teacher's desk. Well, that isn't so terrible, putting butterflies in the desk. Well, I made them myself. Huh? How do you make butterflies? Out of butter and flies. <laughs> so, uh, so that's why they brought you up here, huh? Now the teacher asked me to rub out the blackboards. What happened? I rubbed out the teacher instead. <laughs> oh, Arthur. Arthur, you can go now, but be back tomorrow morning. All right, Miss Hodgkiss. Goodbye.
And now, what can I do for you? Well, I'm Dean Martin. Oh, yes, Mr. Martin. And this must be your little son. Who is he, Daddy? Oh, shut up. Don't talk to your child that way. You probably beat him, too. Oh, Daddy doesn't beat me, but he's always wearing my clothes. It started with my first pair of long diapers. <laughs> Mr. Martin... What is your excuse for violating the child labor laws? He isn't a child. He's 23 years old. That's right, Miss Hotchkiss. <laughs> well, we can settle this in a minute. Show me your birth certificate. I don't have any. Well, how is that possible? Your parents must have reported your birth. No, my father didn't think I was a child. <laughs> I don't believe your story. And since you don't have a certificate... The Child Welfare Board will determine if you're old enough to work in the nightclub. Report tomorrow for a mental test. Ah, oh, Jay, what's the matter? I don't want anyone testing my mental. Now, oh, Jerry, don't be silly. You'll be able to pass the test. Look, I'll calm you down by singing a song, eh? All right, Dean. Ladies and gentlemen, Dean Martin will now sing just one of those things from the picture of the same name that was never made. <laughs> Just one of those things Just one of those crazy flames One of those bells now and then ring Just one of those things Well, it was just one of those nights Just one of those fabulous flights A trip to the moon on gossamer wings just one of those things If we thought a bit Of the end of it When we started painting the town We'd have been aware That our love affair Was too hot Not to cool down Goodbye, dear and all men Here's hoping we meet now and then It was but it was just one of those things Well, another day is dawn, beautiful and clear But sticking out in it like a sore thumb is Jerry Lewis who was about to leave with Dean for his mental test. Jerry, we'd better go to the city hall soon. Now, don't worry about your mental test. We'll easily prove you're not my son, so stop being so nervous. Who's nervous, Bing? <laughs> Bing, I'm not Crosby. I know. Maybe that's why we don't have a sponsor. <laughs> you know, maybe you should have had this test a long time ago. Gee, Dean, I don't know what I'll do if I flunk it. They'll make me go to school and we'll be separated. I don't want to leave you. You're my pal, my partner, my buddy. You owe me money. Hello, boys. Hello, Serpy. Pardon me for not knocking, gentlemen, but I noticed that your door was ajar. Really? Mm -hmm. I thought it was a door. <laughs> Don't you get it, Dean? Sophie said the door was ajar. 
so quick as a flash, I said, no, the door ain't a jar, it's a door. Meaning that the door he thought was a jar. That's impossible, see? So I said the door was a jar, and 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 the same thing was for the jar being a door, and and it's like a, look how they're staring at me. What seems to be the trouble, boys? Jerry here seems perturbed. See, Soapy, the child welfare board claims Jerry's a child and. They want to give him a, a mental test. A mental test? Well, there's nothing to worry about, kid. All that they do is just give you one of them IOU tests. That's all. No, you mean IQ test. No, I don't. I mean IOU. I took one of them once after the test. I owed them some points. how you can prove that you are a man. See, when you walk in to take the test, you come in reading a copy of Esquire magazine. Uh, reading Esquire won't prove I'm not a kid. Well, you might be a kid when you start reading it, but brother, by the time you are true, you are a man. <laughs> Jay, it's time we left for the city hall. Come on. Yeah, now, don't worry, boys. I got an idea that I think will get you out of this predicament. Now, I will see you later, but in the meantime, Jerry... Keep a stiff upper lip. <laughs> well, no use delaying it any longer, Jerry. Let's go on over to the Child Welfare Board so you can take your mental test. I'm worried, Dean. If I don't pass the test, it'll break up our team. Well, stop worrying, Jerry. This is kind of exciting. I haven't had so much fun since the time I sat on the Perry Como record. <laughs> Yes, this is the United States Immigration Department. No, I'm sorry, we don't handle that. Bye. Hey, you know, since we moved in here yesterday, this place is attracting all the screwballs. This morning, 20 people came in thinking this joint was still the Child Welfare Board. Yeah, that's right. Say, on your way out to lunch, will you see what's holding up those sign painters? I want them to scrape off that Child Welfare sign and put up Immigration Office. Okay, George. Oh, say, here's the file on two Italian boys who are coming in. Giuseppe Tortoni and Pasquale Spumoni. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, look, if they don't pass their citizenship test today, cancel their visas, will you, and ship them back to Italy? Yeah, so long. Right. This is the right place, Jerry. I guess these are the men. They look nervous. Try to make them feel at home. Good morning, boys. <laughs> Come in and have a seat. Just to relax it, everything will be all right. <laughs> hey, Mike, you for real? <laughs> what do you know? It talks. Uh, you're Tortoni and Spumoni? No, I'm Vanilla. My partner's Tootie Tootie. <laughs> That's strange. You men speak English very well. When did you leave Italy? Italy? I've never been to Italy. Something's funny here. What's your name? I'm Dean Martin, but my real name is Paul Crosetti. Paul Crosetti. Mm-hmm. And you? Oh, I'm Jerry Lewis, but my real name is Gerardo Minestrone. Pisa Lasagna, Cacciatore, Aragosta, Rivoli, but my friends call me Auntie Pasty. <laughs> Hey, mister, come on, let's get on with the exam, huh? Yeah, I'm anxious to prove to you that I am not a young boy. Gentlemen, I'm in no mood to fool around. 
You, sir, will you please tell me what you know about the first ten amendments? Everybody knows that. They're called the Bill of Rights. Very good. Sure, figure. And now you. <laughs> now you. What about the other amendments? Oh, everybody knows that. They're called the Bill of Left. <laughs> Uh, pardon me, but were there any sane members in your family? Now, just a minute, mister. I, d- I don't like your attitude. Well, is that so? I'm canceling your visas. No Tutti Frutti can talk to me like that. <laughs> Tutti Frutti? Hey, my faccia brut stupidona What does all that mean? It means Sidney Greenstreet should fall on you. <laughs> you know... This is a strange way you fellas have of trying to prove Jerry is under 21. Fine way to run a child welfare board. Child welfare board? And you're Americans? Of course we're Americans. Why, I voted in every election since 1903. 1903? Well, you weren't even born then. How could you have voted? I mailed in my ballot. <laughs> Lucky I learned this. I was ready to deport you to Italy. Who are you, anyway? Oh, we're Martin and Lewis, radio comedians. And you'll be seeing us in pictures and in television for years and years and years and years. Excuse me. Where are you going? Going to deport myself to Italy. (laughs) Now, Jerry, before we go into the welfare office, remember our partnership is at stake. Now, if you fail this test, Martin and Lewis will fold up. Come on, let's go in. Well, Mr. Martin, I'm glad you've arrived. Now, Jerry, if you'll sit right here, I'll ask you a few questions. Okay. First, your full name. Jerry Lewis. Height? 5'11". Race? Only when I'm wearing sneakers. (laughs) (laughs) Lady, please don't let what Jerry says influence you. Now, Jerry, here's a speed test. I have here a number of pieces of a portrait, which I have cut up, and I want you to put the pieces back together again. Okay. What will it be when I put them together? A picture of Rita Hayworth in a bathing suit. When you had such a nice thing, why did you cut it up? (laughs) Jerry, will you please stop asking silly questions? If the lady wants to cut up a picture of Rita Hayworth in a bathing suit into a lot of little pieces, then... Lady, why did you cut it off? Oh, my goodness, you're both much too nervous. Here, Mr. Martin, have a cigarette. Thank you. How about me? I'm nervous, too. Oh, of course, dear. Here, a nice lollipop. (laughs) A lollipop? Lady, this is getting ridiculous. I don't mind playing along with this thing, but now you're pressing. Just because I don't have a birth certificate, you think you can make a fool of me. The idea. A lollipop. You got lying? try to make this easy for you. Let's try a common sense question. Can you tell me why the sun is up during the day and then down again at night and then up during the day again? Sure, because the lucky old sun has nothing to do. Jerry, that's a stupid answer, and you're singing, and the people enjoyed it, and I'm the singer, and you're the comedian. Don't do it no more. Well, 
I can see there's no use continuing this test. Jerry will have to report to school this afternoon with the other children. School with the other children? You can't do that to me. I'm a grown-up man. I've lived. I'm a man of the world. I've traveled. I've hunted game in Africa. I've bagged many an elephant. And believe me, it's not easy getting an elephant into a bag. in London. I dined with Clement Attlee. <laughs> Winston Churchill and Big Ben. Big Ben? Yes, there's a real ding-dong daddy. <laughs> in India, I took a pack train over the Himalayas. You know that's right next to the Huralayas. <laughs> And so we say farewell to the strange island known as Jerry Lewis's head. <laughs> and as his forehead slowly sinks into his hair, we hear a song from me. How do you like that? I'm a dead pigeon and he's going to make like a boy.
There's the schoolhouse, Jerry. The Child Welfare Board got its way. According to the law, you got to go to school. I guess this will split us up. Gee, Dean, as long as we had a split up, why couldn't it have been over a woman? <laughs> you know, that's right, Jerry. Why has no woman ever come between us? We stand too close together. <laughs> you know, Jerry, I'm going to be very lonesome without you. I'll read the papers, Dean, and follow your career. It's sure going to be strange seeing the sign over the nightclub appearing here. Martin and nobody. Ah, <laughs> oh, let's not talk about it anymore, Jerry. Go on into school. Look, Dean, I can't go through with this. I can't go into that school. I just can't. Don't worry, Jerry. I'll have you out of that school in 15 minutes. I'll prove to him that you're not a child. How? I'll bring you a wife. <laughs> oh, fine. Get me one at the make company. They're very nice about exchanges. <laughs> Sure, and I'll probably bring you a child, too. Gee, my first day at school, and I'm going to have a baby. <laughs> but, Dean, look, if... Jerry, you'll be late for school now. Don't worry, I'll get you out. Go okay, on. Okay, Dean, okay. Goodbye. I'll just go into the schoolroom here. Oh, you must be the new pupil. Won't you come in? And I'm very... Oh, little Jerry Lewis. Oh, come right in and sit down. I hope you'll feel at home here in the third grade. And if you're a real good boy, you'll get a gold star. But, teacher, there's something I think you should know. I'm not... Oh, now, don't you worry about the teacher. I love all my little boys and little girls. And I especially love my little boys. <laughs> now, how old are you? Six going on five. <laughs> My, you're a big boy for your age, aren't you? Yeah, I was an only child. <laughs> you were? Yeah, the rest of them were Doberman Pinchers. <laughs> oh, I just love a little boy with a sense of humor. Now, class. <laughs> let's, let's begin today's lesson. Little Jackie Harris, how much is two and two? Three. Please, little Jerry. Now, once again. Little Jackie, how much is two and two? Six. <laughs> now, you listen here, little Jerry Lewis. You interrupt me just once more, and I'll have to keep you after school. <laughs> Like that, would you? <laughs> Jerry. Sorry, teacher. I made a juvenile boo-boo. <laughs> well, you won't get a gold star. And I think some disciplinary action is noted. Disciplinary action? Whatever that means, you said a naughty word, boy. <laughs> I came here to learn and try my best to do what's right for fine American life. I don't expect to be another Lincoln. And I certainly don't want to be a Buick with holes in my head. Just a moment. I did not say a naughty word. Ho, ho. That's rich. <laughs> yes. Now, I'm far from stupid, teacher. I know words when I hear them. And that was definitely a shun on my character. Whereas I'm here to learn. To become something. To make money. And more money. That's what I want to do. I want to make money. Ooh, barrels of money. All kinds of money. I want to have all the money there is. I'd walk the mirror in mine. I'd walk the mirror in mine. 
Jerry, your troubles are over. This ought to get you out of school. Here's your wife and child. Jerry, it's me, Hortense, and little Rodney. Say hello to your father, Rodney. Hello, stupid. All right, let's have it. I demand. <laughs> Who is this Huzzy? This Huzzy's my teacher, Miss Huzzy. <laughs> Jack, now, come on, Jack. Everybody knows you're not a kid. After all, you got a wife and child. But I wanted to stay after school. <laughs> me too. Hey, Pot, can you get a teacher for me? <laughs> oh, this is an impossible situation. I'm re... Greetings, everyone. It's your old pal, Sophie. Ah, there, Jerry, my boy, your troubles are over. Here is your wife. My husband, my husband, kiss me, sugar. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. And as an added touch, Jerry, my boy, here. Oh, no, look. Look, she's a cute little baby, but what's your name? Max, it's a boy. <laughs> just a minute, just a minute. Little Jerry Lewis, who are all these people? I'm Jerry Lewis's wife. And I'm Jerry Lewis's wife. Jerry, Jerry, look at me. <laughs> this woman here says she's your wife, and this woman here says she's your wife. Do you know what you'll get for having two wives? A gold star? <laughs> Where is Mr. Lewis? Where is Mr. Lewis? Phoenix, a child welfare woman. Oh, Mr. Lewis, you won't have to continue in school any longer. We've checked all birth certificates and there's absolutely no record of you. As far as we're concerned, you haven't even been born yet. Jerry, do you hear that? You're not born yet. What are you going to do? Nothing. First, I've got to see whether I'll be a boy or a girl. Ah, oh, now, good night, everybody. Good night, folks. See you show transcribed in Hollywood is produced by Robert L. Redd and written by Charlie Isaacs, Jack Douglas, and Ben Starr. Music is arranged and conducted by Dick Stabile. Martin Lewis currently may be seen in the Hal Wallace picture, My Friend Irma. This is Ben Alexander saying goodnight for the Martin and Lewis show. What's on NBC Sunday? Hollywood Calling has a $26,000 jackpot awaiting someone, maybe you. So be sure to tune in Hollywood Calling Sunday... You may talk to George Jessel and crack the Hollywood Calling jackpot, Sunday on NBC. Stay tuned for the Dave Garraway Show on NBC. Waltz and Matilda was the cutest gal I've seen Until I saw the cover girl in my favorite magazine Her cover girl complexion
action really gave me such a shake-up Cause it looks so fresh and natural Who'd believe it's makeup but it's new Cover girl makeup by Noxzema New medicated makeup by Noxzema Covers blemishes so completely they just seem to disappear And while you conceal them, you even help heal them since CoverGirl is here. First use the liquid, what a difference it will make. Your skin looks dreamy smooth all day and it doesn't peel or flake. New CoverGirl powder is the antiseptic stuff. Help purify your skin each time because it fights germs on your puff. So get a CoverGirl complexion to give the boys a shake-up. Get new CoverGirl by Noxzema, the medicated Your Coca-Cola bottler presents Claudia. Claudia, based on the original stories by Rose Franken. Brought to you, transcribed Monday through Friday, by your friendly neighbor who bottles Coca-Cola. Relax, and while you're listening, refresh yourself. Have a Coke. And now, Claudia. Sunday morning, darling. Wake? Mm-hmm. Are you? Yep. Sleep well? Wonderfully. Did you? Mm-hmm. Hear the church bells? Been listening to them. One of the better sounds left in the world. You know, I never used to like Sundays before I found you. I didn't either. Unless you play golf or something, I think you have to have someone you love very much to really enjoy Sundays. I think you have something there. It must be a very sad, long day for some people. But for others, darling, it's a very short, glad day. Like us. Mm-hmm. Even taking a walk after lunch and feeding the pigeons is fun. Or watching the boats go by on the river. Yeah. There's only one thing about Sunday I don't like. What? Breakfast. Since when don't you like breakfast? As far as I can judge, you look forward to it all night long. <laughs> it's only because I'm hungry. <laughs> Sundays, I'm also lazy. The combination raises the most awful conflict. Oh, well, why didn't you say so? Now, you mean that you don't want to get up and fix it, that yep, it? that's what I mean. Well, ring for the maid. Oh, I don't know. I don't like to disturb her on Sunday morning. She likes to stay in bed late, too. Oh, you spoil her. But it's high time she was up. I'll ring for her. <laughs> yes, I'll come, Mr. Norton. Well, you all have breakfast this morning. Silly. Well, Cleopatra, your name is Cleopatra, isn't it? I'll have coffee, toast, cereal, bacon, eggs, and omelet, please. Oh, omelet is eggs, you dope. Cleopatra, I'll just have coffee, toast, and cereal. Yes, and Miss Norton, coming right up. David, where are you going? To fix breakfast. To fix, uh, to fix breakfast. To make up your mind. I'm the new maid. Come back here, you idiot. Now you lie still and act like a lady of luxury. You shall have a tray brought to you in bed, madam. Don't you dare. David, will you please stop all this not... Darling, I'm not that sort of lady. I wouldn't know what to do with breakfast in bed. Well, you'll find out. You'll find out. Gloria. What? You left the top off of the toothpaste again. I did? Oh, don't say so. 
Oh, yes, I do say so. Darling, please come back. I forgive you. For what? For leaving your top off the toothpaste. Hey, now, wait a minute. Listen, I mean it. You stay in bed, and I'll bring breakfast in bed to you. Now, you fix mine every morning. Why shouldn't I fix yours on Sunday? Because you work hard all week. You deserve a rest on Sundays. Aren't we unselfish, though? Now, don't try to pull the wool over my eyes. <laughs> You're not unselfish. You just think I can't do it. That's yes, all. Yes, dear. That's just what I think. Just the same as you think I can't drive a car. I'll jump in the shower and have it ready in a jiffy. You're going to fix my breakfast in this shower? Don't you do it. I'll be finished with breakfast by the time you get back here. The strain of waiting is going to be dreadful. Well, you'll be surprised. I hope so. Hey, Claudia! What? Nothing, nothing, nothing. Now, where the deuce is... Hey, Claudia! water do I put in? I thought you knew. Oh, all right. I'll fill the whole darn pot. Lovely coffee. Claudia, where's the sugar? Next to the coffee. But I can't find the coffee. Don't get upset, dear. I'll be there in a minute. Hey, Claudia, there's no cream in the ice box. Didn't you know the car leaves it in front of the back door every morning? No. Claudia, there is only one quart of milk here. I used the top of the bottle for cream. I have been robbed. It's done in the best of families. (laughs) Claudia, where's the sharp knife? Are you that desperate? Don't don't act so smug. I, I want to cut the bread. The bread comes already sliced. No. Well, then there's nothing more to do. Yes, there is. You can set the table. Where are the dishes you use for breakfast? In the parlor underneath the sofa. Why, did you move them? I thought you kept them on the piano. Oh, no, no. Now, come on out of my kitchen. Now, scat, scat, scat. Well, wasn't I a help? Big yes, help? Yes, wonderful. A wonderful help. You've got enough water on to heat a bath. Now, run, read the paper, and I'll call you when everything's ready. I'd rather sit here and make eyes at you. Home, home on the oh. rain. Must I put up with this on a Sunday, too? Get off my stove, David. Hey, what'd you do with the coffee? I mislaid it. Well, find it. It won't have any breakfast. There it is, right in front of your nose. What nose? There are only two noses in this room. You can see it's not front and mine. Oh, dear, where is it? Oh, oh, there it is. There's the sugar and there's the orange squeezer. And here's everything right in front of you. You're quite a competent little devil. Do you know that? Of course I knew it. This is a nice marriage. It was before you started all this singing. <laughs> oh, David, look. There are three noses in this where, room. Where, look, where, look, what? look. Our little mouse. As I live and breathe, if it isn't my old friend and colleague, Goliath. Come in, my boy. No, no, it isn't, David. That isn't Goliath. It's not as big as Goliath. It's a little Sunday mouse. Oh, a church mouse. Here, pussy, 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 pussy. I don't pussy. call him pussy. Now see what you've done. You've scared him out of his wits. Oh, Sunday afternoon sounds are different from every day, aren't they? It's funny. What? I was just thinking, I I love the call of that boat on the river, just because we're walking together and going along the street together and... I love the sound of it, too. 
What's funny about it? Well, because if a person is alone and lonely, the same sound could almost break your heart. Yeah, I know what you mean. I remember the times in my life when a foghorn or a train whistle or even the sight of a lighted window looking down on a dark street made me sick with loneliness. When, David? Well, when my father died, for one thing. You hardly remember your mother, do you? Just barely. Well, he's just the same with me, only turned wrong. Papa died when I was very young, and that brought Mama and me so close. You must have been close to your father, weren't you? You bet I was. Darling, would you... I mean, could we stop in and see Mama for a minute on the way home? <laughs> sure. I was just going to ask if you didn't want to. You were? Look here, we're right in front of a florist. Let's stop in and buy some roses. Oh, no, don't, don't let But Mother loves flowers. Yeah, but she'll think we were feeling sorry for her or something. Look, I have a much better idea. There's a little stationery store next door. See, it's open on Sunday, well, now, too. Now, what would Mother want with stationery? Don't you know you can buy anything in a stationery store? It's like a drug store. I bet they don't even sell stationery. <laughs> what are you going to get? Oh, just presents. What kind of presents? Oh, nothing, everything. You know, lots of bits of silly little things wrapped up in lots of pieces of paper and string. And <laughs> <laughs> Well, all right, come on. you two come from? Well, that's a nice welcome, Mrs. Brown. Come on, Claudia. Let's go home. You can't hurt my feelings. Go on. Go home, both of you. All right. Come along, David. Wait a minute. Not so fast. What's in all those packages for? Presents. Now should we go home? Presents for who? For whom, not who. She's not very bright, David. Takes after her daughter. Oh, there's a trick in this somewhere. What's at the bottom of this visit? Oh, we just came to wish you Merry Christmas. And a Happy New Year. And a joyous Happy New Year. <laughs> A lovely birthday, too. Here's your first present. Open it. Well, they're wrapped like they came out of a store. They did. We've been shopping for you for almost an hour, trying to think of what you like the most. Why, a cigar. Mm -hmm. Children, just what I've been longing for. You see, you yeah. see. I told you she'd like a cigar better than a bar of chocolate. Oh, no comparison. Oh, and open the next one, Mom. I am, I am. Now, don't rush me. If it isn't a package of matches to light the cigar. Oh, we think you of everything. Ah, dear thoughtful children. And bubble gum and a balloon and a water pistol. Oh, that's for burglars. Good. Now, what can this box be? Well, why don't you open it and see? That's one way of finding out. Oh, how did you ever guess I needed how many? A hundred? No, a thousand rubber bands. Mm. Oh, you expect. Extravagant things. <laughs> Five hundred would have been enough. Oh, no, not for you, Mama. We don't want you to stint yourself. Listen, you imbeciles. Don't you ever act like sane, grown-up people. Never. Now, how can this daughter of yours act sane and grown-up when she's not? I don't see how you stand her, David. I'm thinking very seriously of getting rid of her. You are. Now you're talking sense. Where are you two bound for? We just came from someplace. Where? No place. Well, what she means, I presume, is, Mother, that we just went out and took a walk. A nice walk. What do you do all day, Mama? Oh, lots of things. Such as? None of your business. That's the way to handle her, Mother. What do you have for lunch? What's that to you? Because you don't eat properly when you're alone. I ate properly. I don't believe it. I'm going to go and see what's in the icebox. Claudia, come back here. You're afraid to have me look. Nice, obedient daughter you've raised, Mrs. Brown. David, that child's worse than a detective. I bet it's tough to live alone, Mother, isn't it? You get used to it. Must be pretty lonely, though. 
Well, loneliness is a lesson we all have to learn. I guess so. And the funny part of it is, you have to learn it by yourself. <laughs> What's the joke? What are you eating? I found a tomato. Hey, See a nice please. little tomato? You want mm, some? Looks good. David, you know the only other thing in her icebox besides butter and milk was an old cooked lamb chop on a plate and a little tiny piece of cheese. I took the cheese from the mouse. You don't mind, do you? You're welcome. Thanks. Why didn't you eat the chop? Want that, too? No, we lost our dog. What are you having for supper? Turtle soup, broiled squab on toast, and baked Alaska. Mm. I think... I think we'll stay, Claudia. I should say so. We're only having leftovers. David. Mm, yes, dear? You sleep? No. You're lying so quietly. So are you. I was thinking about what a beautiful day it was. I was, too. Really? Mm-hmm. We didn't do anything except take a walk and have supper with Mama. No, I don't think she'd have eaten a morsel if you hadn't brought things in from the delicatessen. It was darling of you to suggest staying, David. Oh, I enjoyed it. I always enjoy it. Besides, I was just paying off a little debt of gratitude. What do you mean? For what? To Mama. For having you as a daughter. You know, it has the same sort of holy quality as a church bell, hasn't it, David? Yes, it has. I guess it's striking 12, the end of a perfect day. David. Yes, dear? Would you think I was very silly if I paid a little debt of gratitude, too? No, dear. Then thank you, God for everything. All story material used on this broadcast of Claudia was under the supervision of Rose Franken and William Brown Maloney. When you're shopping, it's always a pleasant surprise to meet up with a friend, isn't it? That's a good time to share the pause that refreshes with ice-cold Coca-Cola from the familiar red cooler. It's natural and easy to pause there and go on your way refreshed. Every day, Monday through Friday, Claudia comes to you transcribed with the best wishes of your friendly neighbor who bottles Coca-Cola. So listen again Monday at the same time. And now this is Joe King saying au revoir and remember, whoever you are, whatever you do, wherever you may be, when you think of refreshment, think of Coca-Cola. For ice-cold Coca-Cola makes any pause the pause that refreshes.
Is Maxwell House really the only coffee in the world? Well, your father says so, and your father knows best. Yes, it's Father Knows Best, transcribed in Hollywood, starring Robert Young as father. A half-hour visit with your neighbors, the Andersons, brought to you by America's favorite coffee, Maxwell House, the coffee that's always good. To the last drop. Beyond the last horizon's rim, beyond adventure's farthest quest, somewhere they rise, serene and dim, the happy, happy hills of rest. Well, rise they may, these restful hills, but there's one thing on which you can depend. They have nothing to do with Springfield or the white frame house on Maple Street. When it comes to rest, the Andersons live in a world apart, a world in which sanity itself sometimes hangs by a slender thread. Like this. Jim. Jim. Hmm? What's the matter? This is the fourth and last time. Uh, Are you or are you not going to get out of bed? I don't know. What time is it? Nine o'clock. It is, huh? It certainly is. To tell you the truth, I don't feel so hot. Why, Jim, what is it? I feel kind of achy all over. Darling, if you'd only said something. How could I say anything? I was asleep. (laughs) I'd better call Dr. Simmons. Leave Dr. Simmons alone. But if you don't feel well... I don't need him, Margaret. I'm coming down with a little cold, and I don't need a doctor to tell me to stay in bed and keep warm. Jim. I'll do it myself and send him a bill. (laughs) Jim, you're sure there's nothing really wrong with you? Of course I'm sure. Outside of feeling miserable, I feel fine. (laughs) Oh, dear. Now what? The girls are coming over this afternoon to play bridge. Honey, just pretend I'm not even here, and we'll all be happy. Well, how about some breakfast? No, I couldn't eat a thing. I just want to lie here and rest. But if you don't eat... Rest. All right, Jim, if you're going to be stubborn. I'm not being stubborn. But I'm the one who doesn't feel well. I won't be out of this room for two minutes before you'll think of something you want. I want to rest. Very well. I'll be downstairs if you need me. Yes, dear. Thank you very much. I want to rest, that's all. I'm not asking any special favors. I just want everybody to leave me alone. That's what I want. Margaret! Margaret! Yes, Jim? Uh, Is there any coffee? If there isn't, I can fix some. Well, that'll be fine, honey. Just a little peace and quiet, that's all I want. (laughs) Take it easy over the weekend, and Monday I'll be a new man. The way I feel now, I don't even care who the new man is. I didn't Get a little rest. That's the only way to get cold. It's right here on my desk. Well, then that's where it ought to be. Well, it would be if you hadn't taken it. I didn't even take it. You certainly did. Bud. I certainly didn't. Bud. You want me, Dad? Yes. Come in here, please. And don't you tell him I took it, because I didn't. Dad, 
I had a glass retort for my chemistry set right on my desk. And if you're going to let her take anything she feels like taking... I did not take it, Daddy. I didn't even see it. Kathy. And he has no right to say I did. Kathy. Either. <laughs> Kathy. Yes, Daddy? Why aren't you in school? It's Saturday. Oh, I would have to pick Saturday. <laughs> Why don't you uh, go outside and play? It's raining. It isn't raining, it's snowing. It's raining. Kathy. It's snowing. Bud. Well, it's rainy snow. Look, both of you. Father. Oh, no, it isn't possible. Father, look at this ad in the Herald Formals for eleven ninety-five. Betty. And last week they were over $20. It's the biggest bargain since we bought Alaska. <laughs> we bought Alaska? Uh, not personally, Kathy. It's, uh... Betty, I'm in no condition to talk about dresses. But, Father, I'm going to a New Year's party and I don't have a thing to wear. But not a thing. Well, you can go as the New Year. <laughs> Father. <laughs> Boy, would she make a hit. But... <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> it's... Just as well. Now, look, uh, all of you, I'm trying to get a little rest. So will you please try to be quiet? Don't you feel well, Father? I feel awful. Hey, wait a minute. Bud, Father just told you. You've got my measuring glass. Betty, if that belongs to Bud... It was on my desk, and what right has she got to go into my room and take stuff? You see, you said I took it, and I didn't. Kathy... I paid for the chemistry set with my own money, and she's got no right to touch it. Bud... How did I know it was yours? It's just a silly old glass. Betty... Well, I... if it's so silly, why don't you leave it alone? Stop it. I didn't even touch it. I said stop it. <laughs> Betty, give Bud his glass. But I'm going to wash my hair, Father, and... Give it to him. Jumping creepers. Now, look, kids, when you don't feel well, your mother and I show you every consideration. We make you comfortable, read to you, bring you your meals, and we're happy to do it. Now, I'm not asking for anything like that. All I want you to do is leave me alone. That isn't too much, is it? Of course not, Father. Gosh, if anybody told us, we wouldn't have made a sound. I'm sure you wouldn't. Well, what's going on in here? A convention? The uh, children were just leaving, weren't you? You bet, Dad. Come on, Kathy. Come on where? We're leaving. But I don't want to leave. I want to stay here and ask Daddy. Well, stop pulling me. Why do you always have to pull me? Here's your coffee, dear. Oh, thank you. Margaret, are all children that noisy? Darling, there are only two kinds of children. Noisy ones and sick ones. Just be thankful that ours are healthy. And they don't have to be that healthy. <laughs> I'll be downstairs if you want anything else. I was healthy when I was a kid and I didn't drive my father into a nervous breakdown. He said you were worse than any of ours. Is that so? I was one of the quietest kids in Springfield. Everybody said I... Margaret! <laughs> a fine thing. Starts an argument and then walks away. <laughs> just like a woman. Dad. Bud, I just finished telling you... Dad, if you'd like to borrow my radio, I can hook it up in here for you. 
Thank you, bud. But uh, I'll do fine without a radio. I won't be using it on account of I'm going down to the playroom to invent something. Uh, no, bud, but... Uh, it won't take me a second, Dad. All I have to do is plug it just in. Just leave it, bud. If I want it, I'll plug it in myself. Okay, Dad. If you want anything else, just let me know. Uh, thank you, bud. Thank you very much. That's just what I need, a radio. I don't feel bad enough. Whistle and chirp with Lizzie Glurp. Are you resting, Father? Yes, I'm resting. Like a yo-yo with St. Vitus dance. <laughs> Poor Father. We give you a pretty bad time, don't we? No, Betty. It's just that... What are you going to do? I brought the pillows in from my room. I don't want any more pillows. I don't like a lot of pillows, Betty. Please... I was perfectly all right. There. Isn't that better? Yes, it's fine. Now, just close your eyes and we'll go on a long journey. What? I'm going to read to you. Betty... I want to, Father. It's the least I can do. Betty, if you'll just... Yes, Father? Go ahead. Yes, Father. We watched her breathing through the night. Her breathing soft and low as in her breast the wave of life kept heaving to and fro. Our very hopes belied our fears. Our fears, our hopes belied. We thought her dying when she slept. <laughs> and sleeping when she died. At last... Betty. Yes, Father? What's the name of that lovely thing? The Deathbed by Thomas Hood. <laughs> Isn't it beautiful? Can't you just see her wasting away? Uh, how much did you say those dresses were? Eleven ninety-five. There's a $20 bill in my wallet. Go buy a dress. Oh, thank you, Father. And don't rush it. See if you can't take all day. <laughs> oh, I will, Father. You're an angel. And bring back the change. Yes, Father. Look out, Kathy. Well, get out of my way. Deathbed. <laughs> a fine way to cheer a man up. Hello, Daddy. Kathy, what on earth? I brought you breakfast, Daddy. Well, that's very nice, Kathy, but I told your mother... I carried it up all by myself. But I don't want any... Kathy, look out. Mommy said... Kathy, that... you... Oh, no. Daddy! <laughs> Kathy, when they say breakfast in bed, they don't mean you dump it in <laughs> I tripped on your slippers. You're gonna spank me. Kathy, stop that wailing and get some of these dishes out of my lap. Orange juice and cereal and coffee. Margaret! Oh, stop it, Kathy. Margaret! I've never seen it this day. Anytime I make plans for anything. What is it, Jim? Kathy dumped a whole breakfast in my lap. Oh, dear. <laughs> what was that? I don't know. It was in the basement. I don't have to. Half of them fell out. 
right. It was just an explosion. The phone's ringing. I know it's ringing. <laughs> Next time anyone wants to spend the day in bed, I'm going to leave town for a month. Hello. Oh, hello, Mr. Gribble. I'm sorry, but Jim doesn't feel very well today. Well, yes, I know, Mr. Gribble, but he can't possibly come to the phone. He's resting. <laughs> Poor father, what he wouldn't give for a little rest. Peace and quiet can mean so much to a man now and then. Just like some things can mean a lot to you ladies. For instance, it'd mean a lot, wouldn't it, to pour a cup of your coffee for the world's greatest coffee expert and hear him say, best coffee I ever tasted. Yes, that'd really warm your heart. Because that number one expert is your husband. Of course, your grocer calls us experts, too. Our Maxwell House coffee is America's favorite brand. But once you've brewed the coffee, the expert with the final word is that man of yours. And if you'll make his coffee Maxwell House, we're mighty sure he'll say, Best coffee I ever tasted. In fact, if he doesn't, we'll give you your money back. And here's why. We know there's no coffee tastes like Maxwell House because no coffee's made like Maxwell House. In all this world, there's only one recipe for that famous good-to-the-last-drop flavor. A recipe demanding certain fine coffees blended just so. And that recipe is ours alone. So tomorrow, get yourself a pound of Maxwell House. Serve your husband a cup. If he doesn't say, best coffee ever, why, just send us the can, an unused portion, and we'll gladly refund the price you paid. Our address is right on every familiar blue tin. Tomorrow, serve coffee that'll please the world's greatest coffee expert. Serve your husband, Maxwell House Coffee. Always good to the last drop. Great changes have taken place since last we saw the Andersons. Jim isn't feeling any better, of course, and he's done mighty little resting. But there have been changes. Well, one change anyway. You see, now it's Saturday afternoon, like this. Kathy! Kathy! Did you call me, Daddy? Can I speak to you for a minute, please? I have to practice. You can practice some other time. Hasn't been near the piano for three weeks. Now she's got to do it all in one day. I'm coming, Daddy. Doesn't know which end of a piano is up anyway. Don't know why she keeps on taking lessons, except maybe to get even with the teacher. That's my new piece, Daddy. Isn't it pretty? Yes, it's uh, beautiful. Uh, Kathy. Yes, Daddy? Why don't you uh, go somewhere? I don't know any place to go. Uh, find your brother and uh, help him. You send him downtown with Betty. Oh. Well, why don't you go shopping with Mommy? She isn't going shopping. She's going to play bridge in the living room. Why don't you go next door to the Davises? You can play with Patty. We don't know what to play. Well, play uh, games. Must be dozens of games you can play. Like what? Uh, 
actress. You and Patty can act out stories. I used to do it all the time when I was a little boy. You played actress? I acted out stories. Like uh, Ichabod Crane and the Headless Horseman, Hans Brinker and the Silver Skates. Daddy. Yes, Kathy? If you want to get rid of me, why don't you say so? I want to get rid of you. <laughs> okay, I'll go over to Patty's. Thank you very much. Parents, if they want to get rid of you, why don't they say so? Uh, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if we shouldn't have gotten a puppy instead. <laughs> now what happened to the darn thing? Margaret! What is it, Jim? Where's that detective magazine I was reading? Which detective magazine? The one Hector Smith wanted to borrow. You loaned it to Hector Smith. But I wasn't through with it. Margaret! I have to answer the door. Fine bunch of friends I have. Don't even wait until you're finished with a magazine before... Margaret! Just a minute, Jim. Yoo-hoo, Jim. Hello. Oh, no. <laughs> if she comes up here, so help me, I'll kill myself. What do you want, dear? Nothing, not a thing. Uh, make believe you never even heard of me. Jim, you poor thing. Hold your hats, kids. Here we go again. Why, I hadn't the faintest idea you didn't feel well. But my, you certainly do. I certainly do what? What? <laughs> what do I certainly do? You look awful, and I think it's just a shame. Well, I haven't shaved today, Ellen, and I... All right, come on, let's get out of bed. Come on. What? Get out of bed, get out of bed. How am I going I... to help you if you just lie there? Helen. And don't think I can't, too. Did you ever meet George's Aunt Mildred? No, but if you... She was at death's door. That's what she was. At death's door. And I pulled her through. The door. I certainly did. Helen, if you'll just go downstairs with the rest of the girls... Jim, will you please stop arguing with me? Now go into the bathroom and stand in the tub. Stand in the tub? What for? Oh, man, they're all alike. George keeps saying the same thing. What for? What for? And what do you tell him? Well, it's perfectly simple. I have the most wonderful cold pills. But you have to take them in warm water. <laughs> I've got to stand in the tub. Well, you certainly don't want to get water all over the floor, do you? Margaret! Helen, we're all waiting for you, and Dorothy... Come along, Jim. Upsy-daisy. Helen, please. You're fighting me. Helen, Margaret was speaking to you. She was? Helen. Hello, Margaret. It's nice seeing you, dear. Honey. Why, Jim? Uh, not you, Helen. I was talking to Margaret. Well, I should hope so. Uh, Helen, Dorothy and Lucille are waiting, and if we're going to play... Hey, what's going on up there? Oh, we'll be right down, Dorothy. I'm not going to move, Margaret, but not a foot. Helen. This poor boy, lying helpless and alone. Helen. Looking to us for comfort and sympathy. Helen. I... How can we leave him friendless? And did you say something, Jim? <laughs> I just want to rest, Helen. So why don't you and... Margaret, you better come downstairs. I think Lucille's getting ready to blow a gasket. 
Hi, Jim. Hello, Dorothy. Helen, won't you please... Better, Jim. You got a cold? No, I feel fine. As a matter of fact... Isn't he brave, Dorothy? He wants to fight it all alone, like a mother lion having her babies in the jungle. (laughs) Margaret, where do you keep the hot water bottle? Dorothy, if you'll just forget about me... I'm sure Jim will be much happier... A turnover, Jim. What? We'll put it right in the middle of his back. Get it good and hot. And then when he can't stand the pain for another second... Dorothy, if you'll just help me get him into the bathtub... Helen! She wants me to stand up, Margaret. That's all. Uh, You wouldn't have any camphor oil, would you? We could rub that on his neck and then wrap it with flannel. Well, I've been giving these same pills to George for years, week after week, day after day. And they... Dorothy, will you please go down and tell Lucille? We'll be right down, Lou. George had four colds in one weekend, but hadn't been for these pills. I don't want any pills. Of course he doesn't. Turn over, Jim. And I don't want any camphor oil. Isn't he stubborn? Turn over, Jim. Margaret, will you please ask them to leave me alone? Helen. We're only trying to help you, Jim. Get over on the other side of the bed, Helen. We'll flip him. (laughs) Dorothy, please. Well, who's winning? Lucille, I'm awfully sorry. Lou, you remember how sick my Jimmy was Why last don't week? you leave the poor man alone? Oh, don't be ridiculous. Helen. I'm not being ridiculous. All he needs is plenty of hot water and lemon juice. Lemon and... juice? For a cold? Margaret. Girls, if you'll just... Look at this, Margaret. It says right here on the bottle, Dr. Scholl... Oh, that's the wrong bottle. <laughs> well, my mother raised six children, and she never gave us anything but hot water and lemon juice. Well, it just happens that I was the head of the Red Cross bandage wrappers. <laughs> and if you're going back to an old-fashioned thing like hot water and lemon juice... Old-fashioned? Margaret. I've seen some of the shirts you bought for Sam, and if that's your idea of new fashion... I have that bottle right in my purse. Well, I wouldn't exactly call your husband a fashion plate. If you'll just go downstairs... Why, he's thrown away better clothes than your husband's wearing right now. Well, maybe he throws them, but he and throw them far. But, girls, if we're going to play bridge... Bridge? Well, I wouldn't play bridge with her if my life depended on it. Uh, you'd better not, the way you play. Well, I'm sorry, Margaret, but I've just developed the worst headache. Well, if you're leaving on my account, you needn't bother. Girls, I'm sure we can straighten this whole thing out if you'll only listen to me for a minute. Helen. <laughs> Hello, Jim. <laughs> Hello, Helen. Uh, isn't there someplace else you'd rather go? I don't think so. Did you have anything in mind? <laughs> well, wouldn't you like to go home or someplace? Oh, good gracious, no. It's always so noisy over there. And here it's so peaceful and quiet. Margaret! What is it, Jim? Call Helen. Helen! Just a minute, dear. I'm sorry, Jim, but I'll have to leave you. Margaret's calling me. (laughs) That's all right, Helen. I understand. Take good care of your cold, dear. I will. Goodbye, Helen. Did you call me, Jim? No, I... (laughs) Just said goodbye. 
I don't know. I'm good to my children. I'm kind to animals. I help more old ladies across the street than any ten men in Springfield. I... Not again. Kathy! Do you want me, Daddy? Why aren't you at Patty Davis's? We were acting out the night before Christmas, and she got stuck in the chimney. <laughs> Kathy, stop it! Jim, I told her to practice. She hasn't practiced all week. And she's going to take a lesson on Monday. And listening to a piano isn't going to give you a cold. Well, tell her to keep her foot off the pedal. Okay, Daddy. She doesn't care how it sounds, just as long as it's loud. Oh, Father, it's heavenly. It's the most heavenly dress you've ever seen. Fine. Put the change on the dresser. It's blue, the dreamiest, creamiest blue. Put the change on the dresser. But borrowed two dollars, but he said you could take it out of his allowance. Put the change... What? Well, they were having a sale on chemistry set. Where is he? In the playroom. But... But, Father, he said... But... No, not twice. Not twice in one day. Margaret! Margaret! Beyond the last horizon's rim, beyond adventure's farthest quest, somewhere they rise, serene and dim, the happy, happy hills of rest. weekend, is this your problem? On your grocer's shelves, so many different kinds of coffee. And how are you to choose the one brand that gives you the most in flavor for your money? Now, that's something the world's greatest coffee expert can help you find. So check with your husband. He's the expert we mean. From your grocers, bring home that famous blue tin with the big white cup and drop. Serve Maxwell House coffee to your husband. When he smiles and says, best coffee I ever tasted, you'll know Maxwell House has the most in flavor. You'll know it's your best coffee buy. Start enjoying Maxwell House coffee tomorrow. And count all the truly good cups of coffee you get from each pound. We think you'll be convinced. You get more for your money with Maxwell House coffee. Always good to the last drop. It's Monday now, and in the Springfield office of the Cavalier Life and Casualty Company, the manager, one James Anderson Sr., is diligently engaged with the daily grind. Thusly. What did I say, Miss Thomas? The enclosed form covers application for damages to glass and general furnishings on premises of the insured. While the amount may seem rather high... No, no, uh, cross that last part out. All right. Uh, the estimate must be considered to be extremely conservative in view of the fact that damage was caused by two separate and distinct explosions. Please let me, uh, blah, blah, blah. You know how to finish it. I think so. <sighs> well, what's next? There's a memo from Mr. Buckley. I don't know. I can't even think straight. Mr. Anderson. Hmm? Of course, it's not of my business, but I don't think you should have come in today. No? 
What you ought to do is go home and spend a nice, quiet day in bed. If you have trouble getting the youngsters to eat a hot cereal these cold mornings, just tell them how Hopalong Cassidy goes for hot post-wheat meal. Hot post-wheat meal has such a wonderful nut-like flavor, and it's chock full of solid whole wheat nourishment, the kind that Hoppy goes for and your youngsters need. Hot post-wheat meal cooks in just three and a half minutes. And be sure to tell the kids it's Hoppy's favorite hot cereal, hot post-wheat meal. You'll see, you'll agree, it's the best hot cereal you ever ate. Join us again next week when we'll be back with Father Knows Best, starring Robert Young as Jim Anderson, with Roy Barkey and the Maxwell House Orchestra, and yours truly, Bill Foreman. So until next Thursday, good night and good luck from the makers of Maxwell House, America's favorite brand of coffee. Always good to the last drop. Father Knows Best was transcribed in Hollywood and written by Ed James. Now stay tuned in for Dragnet, which follows immediately over most of these stations. Exciting Dragnet is next. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. new breakfast idea? Then get the Betty Crocker cereal tray, the Betty Crocker cereal tray. Yes, indeed. Try the brand new cereal assortment with ten individual packages in all. Four Wheaties, four Cheerios, two Kicks. All top favorites and all extra fresh. Yes, it's fun to take your pick from Wheaties, Cheerios, and Kicks. Get the Betty Crocker cereal tray, the Betty Crocker cereal tray. Get that tray today. Ladies and gentlemen, the secret word tonight is sugar. S-U-G-A-R. Rally. You bet your life. The DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America present Groucho Marx in You Bet Your Life, the comedy quiz series produced and transcribed from Hollywood. And here he is, the one, the only... Never heard of him. Oh, that's me, Groucho Marx. <laughs> Thank you. Well, here I am again with $3,000 for one of our couples tonight. George Fanneman, who's first? We invited some milkmen and some brewmasters to the show tonight, and just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected milkman Howard Cram. His partner is brewer John White. Gentlemen, meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, gents, for the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers. And if one of you says the secret word at any time, he wins $100 in cash. It's a common what? word, something you use every day. A milkman and a brewmaster, eh? A milkman, uh, Ho- Howard Cram, is that right? Where, where are you from, Howard? Uh, Park City, Montana. Just a hop, skip, and a jump from Yellowstone National Park. Well, is that the only way you can go? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Mr. Weiss, uh, you're the brewmaster, huh? That's right. Oh, uh, where, where are you from? Omaha, Nebraska. Why aren't you from Milwaukee? <laughs> Born in Omaha. Did you know then you were going to be in the beer business? <laughs> Almost. Almost? 
Milkman, uh, you haven't turned sour yet, have you? Uh, no, sir. <laughs> who, do, who do you work for? Uh, Eight-Or Milk Farms. Mm-hmm. And uh, Beer Bust, who do you work for? Huh? Meyer Brewing Company. Who with the Meyer Brewing Company? Meyer Brewing Company. How, how, much, uh, how much beer do you brew in a day? Oh, about 900 barrels. Hmm. And Milkman, uh, how much milk do you deliver in a day? Oh, I deliver around uh, 550 quarts a day. You deliver 550 quarts of milk a day? Yes. I don't believe it. Huh? <laughs> Let me see you open your big brown eyes and say, ma. <laughs> now, as a milkman, has anything embarrassing ever happened to you, Mr. Cram? Well, yes, yeah, several things. Uh, one, for instance, uh, my wife and I was uh, walking down the street uh, the other day, and I happened to see one of my customers on the street. And uh, I says, uh, how do you do, Mrs. Jones? And she looks at me and didn't even recognize me. And I was uh, dressed just like I am now, and I says, uh, well, don't you recognize me, Mr. Jones? I'm your milkman. She says, oh, uh, I didn't know you with your clothes on. <laughs> this must have made your wife very happy. <laughs> How about you, Beer Bottle? Have you ever had any uh, unusual experience, embarrassing? Yes, I remember one incident uh, when I served my apprenticeship in the Berea at... Uh... This plank was placed across the top of this tank here, and uh, I fell off the plank into this tank of beer. <laughs> and, uh, well, would you have stayed in there if there were pretzels in there? <laughs> I think so. Have you ever been totally dry, Mr. White? Do <laughs> you, you know how to milk a cow, uh, Mr. Cram? Oh, it's easy. There's nothing to it. Well, it's easy to lay an egg, but I bet you can't do that. <laughs> I think the least you two could do is shake hands. <laughs> I now pronounce you more than milk, huh? <laughs> now, in just one minute, you're going to have a chance to make $3,000. For many reasons, the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America believe that their way of doing business has won them many new customers, folks who will continue to be their customers. That's because these dealers have done their utmost to treat you fairly and squarely, whether it be for a new car, a used car, or a simple repair job. They've tried to be courteous all along. Well, you, the car owners of America, seem to have appreciated this kind of organization and the attitude it had toward you. So today, in every city and every state, thousands of smart car owners make sure they stop at the sign of an authorized DeSoto Plymouth dealer. Now, let's say if a milkman and a brewmaster will be the ones who get the chance at the DeSoto Plymouth $3,000 question. Fenneman, explain the rules. Each of our three couples has $20. They bet as much of that 20 as they want on each of four questions. The couple that earns the most money gets the chance at the $3,000 question at the end of the show. Our other two couples are in a waiting room off stage, so they don't know what's going on out here. You select the famous friends and companions as your category, is that right? All right, now you have $20. How much are you going to bet? Ten. $10. Here's your first question. You bet $10. What was the name of Robinson Crusoe's faithful servant? Friday. Friday is right. Huh? <laughs> They're on their way with $30, Groucho. Remember, you're going for $3,000 tonight. How much of the 30 will you try? 
funny. What was the name of John Alden's good friend? <laughs> so quiet you can hear a contestant <laughs> drop. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. It was Miles Standish. They now have ten dollars. All right. Here's your third question. How much of the ten are you going to try? Five. Five dollars. Who was Tom Sawyer's best friend? Huckleberry Finn. Huckleberry Finn yeah. is right. <laughs> On the way again, they have fifteen dollars. All right, now you got fifteen. Here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the fifteen? Fifteen. Shoot the works. Who was Sherlock Holmes's faithful friend? Doctor. Sherlock Holmes. Doctor. Well, yes, that's right. It was Doctor. You know, Watson the Needle. Oh, Doctor. Well, here's one more chance to make some money. If you get this one right, I'll hand over ten dollars in cash. And please, no coaching. Who was buried in Grant's tomb? Grant. General Grant is right. Thanks and good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. Now stick around. Who knows? You may be the ones who get the chance at the $3,000 question. Groucho, the secret word is still sugar. Perhaps our next couple will say it. Just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected an interior decorator, Mr. Doug Haynes, and a housewife, Mrs. Audrey Forsythe. Folks, meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, welcome to You Bet Your Life. And if one of you says the DeSoto Plymouth secret word, he wins $100 in cash instantly. It's a common word, something you use every day. Uh, Audrey Forsyth, where are you from? Oh, Pine Bluff, Arkansas. You're a very pretty housewife. Isn't Thank you? you. Is your husband as pretty as you are? Uh, not quite. <laughs> is he much bigger than you are? Yes, he is. Well, let's forget it, huh? <laughs> What does your husband do, Audrey? Oh, he's in the Army. He's a tax sergeant. A tax sergeant? Yeah, What technical. does he do, sit on tax? <laughs> now, what is a tax sergeant? I'm not, I haven't been... Well, well, I don't know. I've it's only just... been through five wars, so I don't know. <laughs> uh, I didn't say I was in him. I was just through him. <laughs> well, it's the grade below a, a master is all I know. And do you see him very often? Oh, he's going overseas. When? Uh, around the 28th, I suppose. Mr. Douglas Haynes, you're the uh, interior decorator, huh? No, Hal Haynes, sir. Oh, Hal, Hal Haynes, huh? Where are you from, Hal? I'm from Auckland, New Zealand. Are you, are you married? Yes, sir. Is your wife in the army, huh? No, she's not in the army. How did you meet your wife, Hal? Well, she was touring in New Zealand with her father, who's Dante the magician. And uh, I went to a dance, and uh, I met her, and... Uh, looked at her and said, can you see out of those beautiful eyes? And she said, yes, and two weeks later we were married. <laughs> is, uh, is that the customary approach in New Zealand? <laughs> I don't know, sir. It's the only one I've ever approached. Well, I think you did it charmingly, huh? Uh, how did you meet your husband, Mrs. Forsyth? I was working at my brother and sister-in-law's cafe during the summer. Well, Very... Where was this? In Pine Bluff, Arkansas. Oh. And my brother-in-law is a very ticklish person. I mean, he's just ticklish all over. And... Uh... <laughs> what? <laughs> you say uh, he's ticklish all over? <laughs> you mean all over Arkansas? <laughs> You'll, you'll, you'll have to explain that a little clearer, huh? Not too clear now, huh? And uh, this morning, uh, I came bursting in this cafe, and I noticed this man uh, bending over the drink case. So I ran up to him, and I jabbed him in his ribs, and 
This fella fell practically in the in the drink case. His hair was wet, and so I started laughing naturally. And uh, when I laugh, I close my eyes, and so Let's I... Let's see, will you laugh? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so when I looked up, you I... You say he's leaving the 28th? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, where was I now? Yeah. <laughs> you had your betrothed in a water case or something. <laughs> so when I, I finally stopped laughing, I looked up and hissed a, um, a very angry man, a I said I was sorry that I thought he was my brother-in-law. And then we were married oh, a couple of months later. Oh. Was he dry by that time? <laughs> <laughs> yes, he was quite dry. Where do you do your decorating, Mr. Haynes? I work for W&J Sloan's in Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm. Well, how much would you charge to decorate, let's say, fix up the inside of the average five-room house? Oh, about four to $5,000. Now, I don't mean to build a house. I mean... <laughs> Climb down out of that chandelier up there. Right? <laughs> I mean, how little could you do it for? Well, we could do it for as little as, uh, well, say, five hundred or a thousand dollars, but really? uh, wouldn't suit a man in your position, Mister Mouse. <laughs> My customary position is horizontal. Would that mean? <laughs> now, to be a successful decorator, what do you regard as the most important requirement? Well, you have to know a uh, proper balance of a room and... Uh, proper m- balance in the bank? Well, yes. <laughs> Look at him grin when I said bank. <laughs> what else? The uh, layout of the room. I mean, you should have it in conversational groupings. Conversational I mean, groupings? You mean the furniture sits around and talks to each other? <laughs> Chair. One chair says to the other, he says, my, your legs are crooked tonight. <laughs> you ought to wear a longer valance. <laughs> says, well, my valance in the bank is so bad, I can't afford it. <laughs> no groaning, please. Huh? <laughs> uh, Mrs. Uh, Forsythe, has your husband gone yet? Uh... <laughs> Tell me, have you learned anything about interior decorating? It sounds expensive. <laughs> Mr. Haynes, would you care to defend yourself? Well, as a matter of fact, a good decorator can save money. Well, at your prices, I'm not surprised. Huh? <laughs> How much did you save last year? Huh? <laughs> How do you generally decide what color scheme to use in a house? Hell? Well, uh, if it's a cold room, you use warm colors. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be better to put in a gas heater? <laughs> this is Forsyth, uh, Forsyth. Uh, if this isn't too uh, impudent, what color is your is your uh, living room? It's pink. It's pink. Yeah? Mm-hmm. How about it, uh, Mr. Haynes? Is the living room warm? Oh yes. <laughs> How do you know her living room is warm? Maybe she's wearing long underwear. <laughs> Well, tell us more about colors. It, it, it's fascinating. For example, uh, what's a good color for the bedroom? Oh, well, I would use um, pastel shades. Uh, uh-huh. Loud colors have a tendency, you know, to well, keep you awake. Mrs. Forsythe, what color is your bedroom? <laughs> it's a sort of an orange-red. Sounds noisy. How do you sleep? <laughs> I turn the light out, and it, the colors are... <laughs>
You say you turn the light out? Yes. Doesn't that keep your husband in the dark? <laughs> now, you're going to have a chance to make $3,000. You run your 20 bucks into more than the other couples, and you get a crack at the big question. I can't tell you how much they won, but George Fenneman is off stage to remind our listeners. The milkman and the brewmaster lost all their money, so this couple has a clear field. Here we go. You have $20. How much are you going to risk? Ten. You selected the uh, large, uh, largest cities of the United States as your category. Is that right? Yes. yes. Now, you're going to bet $10. What is the largest city in the state of Ohio? Akron. Do you agree with that? Toledo. I- I- I'm sorry. It's Cleveland. <laughs> They now have $10, Groucho. Well, that's too bad. Well, you've got $10. Remember, you're going for $3,000. That's the big prize, anyhow. Now, how much of the $10 will you try? Five. What is the largest city in the state of Michigan? Detroit. Detroit is correct. Well, on the way now, they have $15. Now, you have $15. Now, how much of the $15 are you going to try? Ten. What is the largest city in the state of Massachusetts? Boston. Boston is correct. They're still climbing. They have twenty-five dollars. Uh, twenty-five dollars, and here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the twenty-five you're going to risk? Uh, twenty-five. Shoot the works. What is the largest city in the state of Missouri? Uh, St. Louis. St. Louis is correct, and they wind up with fifty dollars. Well, thanks and good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. Now, in just a moment, our last couple will come up to bat, and then we know who gets the chance at the three thousand dollars. Gentlemen, who's ahead so far? The interior decorator and the housewife are leading with their $50. And the secret word is still sugar. Perhaps the next couple will say it. In honor of Valentine's Day, we invited some people whose occupations are in keeping with the season. And just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected Mr. Jack Thorpe, a greeting card writer, and his partner is Miss Frankie Brown, a wedding director. And here they are, folks, meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, children, to You Bet Your Life. And if one of you says that a soda Plymouth secret word, he wins $100 in cash instantly. It's a common word, something you use every day. A greeting card writer and uh, a wedding director. Huh? Mr. Uh, Thorpe, huh? You're the greeting card writer? That's correct. Mm-hmm. Well, greetings. Where are you from? Huh? <laughs> Los Angeles. Frankie Brown? That's, that's an odd name for a girl, isn't it? My name's really Francis. Oh, well, there's a new movie out called Francis, you know. Mm-hmm. Were you the star of that picture? Not that I know of. It's a good thing. Francis is a mule in this picture. <laughs> Where are you from, Frankie? I'm from Las Vegas, Nevada. Do you, do you have a husband, uh, Frankie? No, I don't. Oh. You have nice teeth, uh, Frankie. Thank you. Do, you. do you plan to remain an old maid, uh, Frankie? I'm not an old maid. I'm only 22. How old are you, uh, Jack? 25. Are you, are you married? No, I'm not. <laughs> Well, let's find out something about you, too. <laughs> Frankie Gal, where do you direct your weddings? At Hotel Last Frontier in Las Vegas, Nevada. How many marriages have you engaged in? About 1,500. And how many engagements have you married in? <laughs> what are your duties as a, as a wedding director? Well, I arrange for the uh, organist, send notices to their hometown paper, contact the minister, and uh, arrange flowers. You sure you're not a funeral director? <laughs> no, I'm a wedding director. It's a pretty mortuary description, you know. <laughs> You're a wedding director, huh? Well, there isn't too much difference, huh? <laughs> Only thing is, at a wedding, you can smell your own flowers. Huh? <laughs> I'll 
tell me about the greeting card business, Mr. Thorpe. Uh, who do you work for? Well, I do work for Colonial Greeting Card, uh, Buzzer Cardoza, and several others. Yeah, well, what are your duties as a greeting card writer? Oh, I write verses for greeting cards. <laughs> you mean somebody writes those things, huh? <laughs> How do you know what to write? <clears throat> well, the simplest thing is the best. The more you say and the less you mean, the better. It's something like the congressional record, huh? <laughs> well, uh, can anybody be a greeting card writer? No, it takes a special talent. You have to be general, not too specific. For example, if I say uh, to my black-eyed sweetheart, fella couldn't send that to a blue-eyed girl. <laughs> you could if he gave her two shiners the night before. <laughs> Tell me, Shakespeare, what are the, uh, <laughs> what, uh, what specifically are the occasions for which you provide this deathless prose? Huh? Well, we have greeting cards for all occasions, uh, birthdays, valentines, congratulations for starting a new business. Congratulations for starting a new business? That's right. And suppose he goes Mahola, what happens then? <laughs> suppose he goes bankrupt. I'll pick up a new verse. <laughs> What do you do? Do you say the voice is yet to come? <laughs> Suppose you were in love with Frankie here, Jack, uh, and you wanted to send her a beautiful Valentine poem. Uh, what would you say on it? Go ahead, whip one out. Huh? Oh, I couldn't whip one right out. I'd have to think about it. Oh, well, how long? Huh? Oh, it'd take me a couple of days. <laughs> By that time, she's married to some desert right up in Las Vegas. <laughs> you know those desert rats? They trap them with cheesecake up there. <laughs> don't you carry? Don't you carry any of your epics around with you? Oh, I always carry cards with me. Well, well, read it. Read this one. Huh? <laughs> Hi there, Grandma, darling. <laughs> Frankie, Frankie, you certainly got old quick, huh? <laughs> well, Jackie boy, that was pretty old-fashioned. Haven't you got anything more streamlined? Yes, I have a comic valentine here. Oh, you have, huh? It has a picture of a garter and a stocking on it. As the stocking said to the garter, Hook up with me, pal. I ain't been snagged yet. <laughs> I'll bet that'd be a wow in Las Vegas, huh? <laughs> Frankie, while you're swooning from all this sentiment here, let's some talk some more about your job. For instance, where do the people come from who get married in your chapel? Well, they come from all over the world. Well, why? Can't they get married in uh, Yugoslavia or Spain? No. Or Our chapel is... Panama Canal? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't cost as much as having a large wedding in, in your hometown. And then another thing, nobody knows you there, too. <laughs> well, how much do you charge for this grand larceny? <laughs> we have two plans. One is $25. $25? Mm -hmm. The other what is What do you 15. get for the $25? Well, $25, you get uh, 
minister of your choice, and an organist to play whatever songs you'd like, witnesses if you need them. No bride? <laughs> what do I get for 15 bucks? I'm probably not even there for that. <laughs> what do I get for $15? Well, for 15 you get the same things as you do for the $25, except that you get a live organist. For 15 <laughs> For 15 you get a live organist? Why do you get a dead one for 25 I'll take the one with the dead organist. <laughs> That's the one for me. It's ten. Do- it's ten dollars more, but it's worth it, huh? <laughs> now, Frankie, what's the largest number of splice jobs you've racked up in a single day, huh? Uh, one Valentine's Day, we had twenty-seven weddings. Is that what killed the organist? <laughs> what, are, what are your working hours on a job like that? Huh? Well, I work from 9 to 5, and I'm on call 24 hours a day. Oh. <laughs> well, you're sort of like a fireman, huh? You yes. slide down a brass pole with a box of rice in one hand and a... And a dead organist in the other. <laughs> well, now that you two are practically engaged, let's see if you'll get the chance at the DeSoto Plymouth $3,000 question. <laughs> Read our other two couples, and you'll get a crack at the $3,000 question. I can't tell you how much they won, but George is offstage to remind our listeners. The interior decorator and the housewife are ahead with $50. Here we go. Let's see how high you can build your $20. You selected colleges as your category. All right, you have $20. How much are you going to try? Well, we'll start with 10 What college is located at Palo Alto? Stanford. Stanford is right. <laughs> and they're off to a fine start with $30. All right, you got $30. Remember, you're going for $3,000 tonight. How much of the 30 will you bet? 25 25 What college is located at Ann Arbor? Michigan. Michigan. University of Michigan. <laughs> they're climbing now. They have $55. You got 55. Here's your third question. How much of the 55 you going to go for? 50. What college is located at New Haven? Yale. Yale is right! They're really on their way now. They have $105. Now you've got $105. Uh, it's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the 105 are you going to go for? 100. What do you say, Keith? 100. <laughs> what college is, uh, is at Laramie? L-A-R-A-M-I-E. University of Wyoming. University of Wyoming! And they wind up with $205, and that means that they get the chance at the DeSoto Plymouth $3,000 question. We're a nation of car owners in this country. And many of us know the inside of our family car as well as the back of our hands. Others don't care about what goes on inside our car, just so long as it's driving smoothly and economically. But whichever case fits you, when you drive your car into a shop for a checkup or some kind of repair job, 
you do like to know what is going to be done. You like to know why. And, of course, how much it will cost. Now, here's one big reason why you'll appreciate the kind of service you get at a DeSoto Plymouth Dealers. The men who work on your car at a DeSoto Plymouth Dealers are service experts. They've had special training, constant training. They've special tools and equipment to work with that you won't find just anywhere. And on top of all these advantages, you'll find they have a courteous interest in explaining to you what will be done to your car, why it's going to be done. And you'll also get an estimate of what the job will cost. That's fair, isn't it? Well, fairness is one of the aims of the folks you'll meet at the sign of an authorized DeSoto Plymouth dealer. And here's the greeting card writer and the wedding director, the winning couple, all ready for the DeSoto Plymouth $3,000 question, Groucho. All right, here we go for $3,000. I'll give you 15 seconds to decide on one single answer between you, so think carefully, and please, no help from the audience. Here it is. The first capital of our country was New York. For $3,000, where was the second capital? All right, what's the answer you two have decided upon? Annapolis. No, I am. I'm sorry. It's Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. <laughs> so that means the big question next week will be worth $3,500. Well, you lost the big money, but you won $205 in the quiz. Congratulations and thanks to both of you, huh? You Bet Your Life is a John Goodell production. Transcribed from Hollywood, directed by Bob Dwan and Bernie Smith. Music by Jerry Fielding. Be sure to tune in again next Wednesday night at this time for the Groucho Marx Show, You'll Bet Your Life, presented by the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers of America. And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth, two great cars, both products of the Chrysler Corporation. And don't forget, next week, the big question will be worth $3,500. Well, it's almost time for Bing Crosby, so good night, folks, and remember... Just be sure to see your DeSoto Plymouth dealer. Here's a tip from the National Safety Council. Look out for the driver who doesn't look out for you. This is George Fenneman signing off for the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers from coast to coast. did think that Life Boy Health Soap got me extra clean. But I never knew how right I was till the doctors came along and actually proved it. Yes, it's true. After comparing the effects of daily baths with different soaps, these doctors made this amazing statement. Actually, you're cleaner, safer from B.O. when you bathe daily with Life Boy than when you bathe with any other leading soap. Something to think about, isn't it? Well, the answer's simple. 
Lifebuoy does more than just remove the grime and perspiration you can see. Lifebuoy is more effective than any other leading soap against invisible dirt that can form a foothold for B.O. Lifebuoy gets you even cleaner than the eye can see. After 820 scientific tests, these doctors say that Lifebuoy's purifying ingredient makes the difference. And this same purifying ingredient actually makes Lifebuoy milder, safe even for a baby's tender skin. So enjoy a refreshing Lifebuoy bath every day. You'll like Lifebuoy's creamy-rich lather, its wonderful mildness. Get Lifebuoy tomorrow. And now, the Goldbergs. Molly Goldberg and her family find themselves in the strange position of taking care of a little boy who speaks only French. The child David was left there by a woman to whom Molly gave shelter. And with the child was a note, saying that as soon as the woman could find work, she'd come back for the child. Well, fortunately for Molly, she doesn't have to depend on Sammy and Rosie's high school French to speak to the boy. Old Dr. Cater speaks French fluently, and he's just come over for another conversation with David. Well, Doctor, what do you think we should do? Molly, there's only one Say, thing... please, let me talk, please. Molly, I want Dr. Cater's opinion. After all, a child is left in a house. The mother leaves it no trace of her whereabouts. She'll come back. That's only your opinion. What do you think, Doctor? Well, I think that... Uh, how can you tell, Doctor? A woman leaves a child and only sends a note with no address. But, Jay, darling, we know she went to New York to look for work. New York? Where in New York? New York is a world, Molly. In New York, a person is like uh, a drop in the ocean. But we don't have to worry now, Jay, dear. We'll, we'll, we'll wait. But what do you think, Doctor? Well, if at least a child could speak English... We can't even make ourselves intelligible to the child. But, Jay, darling, he'll learn. Of course. Doctor, did you ask him in French, Doctor, where he lived before he came here and why he came and how he came and so yes, forth? Yes, but, uh, I did. Jay, uh, please, Dr. Kate, I'm sorry, sorry, Doctor. You, I hope, can realize our position. They'll all get attached to the child. There's no question. There'll be complications. And why should I have complications? That's all I say. I'd be perfectly willing to take the child. No, Doctor, he was left here and... May I come in? Oh. That's all I need. Come, come in, Seymour. Come in, Seymour. Yeah. How do? Uh, you, you know Dr. Cater, Seymour, not? Well, uh, well I, I was never formally introduced. I know your son, Christopher Cater. Well, uh, let me introduce you, Seymour, uh, Dr. Cater. This is Seymour Fingerhood, Dr. Cater. Uh, so what is your advice, Dr. Cater, please? Uh, take a rest, Mr. Goldberg. It's your name. We're not talking about Mr. Goldberg physiologically. Oh, I'm sorry. Do you want to, to see me about something, Seymour? No. I just came over to see if I could be of any assistance. My sister Brady told me what happened about the little boy and the mother and that he only speaks French. Of course, I'm not a French professor, but I took French. I studied. And I, I thought I could interpret for you. Rosalind? Oh, here's David. Come in, David. Come in, David. Come in, dear. Come in, David. Come on, Sally Boo. Je parle French, mon petit. Ask him if he wishes something, a voulez-vous something? David, est-ce que tu veux quelque chose? Have you envie de faire quelque chose, eh? Je me redonnais à manger un peu, monsieur. Chicken. Comme je faisais toujours chez grand-papa. Grand-papa. Il habite une ferme en France. Il y avait des poules là-bas comme ici. J'aimerais bien faire ça. <laughs> He'd like to feed the chickens. That's right. 
That's what he used to do in France when he was a very little boy, oh, when they went to his grandfather's farm in the country. Oh, mine, that he, he would like to see. Oh, yes. mine, he, he wants to see the chickens. Yeah, David, je te montrer how to feed the chickens. Well, but how do you say feed the chickens, Dr. Tater? Donnez à manger au poule. Donnez à manger au poule. Rosalie, so go down there, manger in the poule. Yeah, David. I think I'll be going now, and if there's anything... Uh, just one minute, Doctor. If I could detain you for just one extra minute, please. Of course, of course. Doctor. Um, is it possible? I mean... Get to the point, Molly. I'm, I'm only thinking that... But maybe it's not such a good idea, but if we could... Say it already? That his mother went to look for work, that we know. Yes. And, I mean, where would she look if she looked? What do you mean, where? Jay, darling, I mean where. So? In, in, in the newspapers, no? So? So, Doctor... I mean, it can be expensive if I would put an advertisement in the newspaper, woman wanted, right or call. Oh, Molly, please. That's like a pin in a haystack. In New York, there are two million women at least who will write or call. No, no, I, I don't think so. You see, Jake, Dr. Cater, don't think so. You don't think so. And, and I could also call up all the employment agencies and tell them also, after all, we know her name. And if she goes under a false name? But why should she? That's the point, Molly. What do we know about this woman that we know she wouldn't? I think it's worth a try. But, uh, that, uh, you see, Jake, darling, why the but? Why, why the but? Dr. Cater don't think so. Uh, but, Dr. Cater, uh, I... uh, how, how would we do it? How would you avoid it? I think well, it's a waste of time. Dr. Cater does not think it's a waste of time. Well, I think I ought to call my son. He's in New York. Oh, 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 oh Dr. Cater, Christopher Cater's already in New York? Yes. But then should I get him on the phone, Doctor? Why don't you think about it first, Molly? Jake, darling, what is there to think we could ask his opinion, Molly? Molly. Uh, his opinion, nearly, Jake, dear. Just his opinion. The number, Doctor, is He Molly. may not be in... What is the number we'll try? Molly, when I... Jake, please. Butterfield, 2820. Um, Butterfield, 2820. Hello? I wish... Uh, Butterfield, 2... What is uh, that? 2820. Uh, Butterfield, 2820. It could wait. I could call from my house. Excuse me, Jake. Dr. Trader thinks you don't wish him to call from my house. He wants to call already from his... Excuse us, Dr. Please, because we're so excited. That's merely only. Um, Hello? Hello? Is, is this Dr. Cater's junior's office? Well, is, is the doctor at home? Yes. Just one minute. He is. He is. His father is calling. Hi, Molly. Here, doctor. Thank you. Hello, Chris. Dad. Yes. Yes. Nothing wrong. Nothing wrong. I'm at the Goldberg. Mrs. Goldberg told you about the woman and child sleeping in her barn? Y yesterday, I think. Yes. Yes. Well, when they got up, the Goldbergs found the woman gone. There was missing. And the child still here. Yes. yes. Yes, there was a note. Yes. It said the woman was going to New York to look for work. What's that? The, the child speaks French. Pure. French. French, yes. Yes, yes, I said French. Mm -hmm. Oh, but he's an American. 
David Leland. Citizen, citizen. Yes. Uh, yes, the poor mother must be running madly about trying to find a job and get her child back. <laughs> a beautiful boy. Handsome. Uh, you want to adopt him? <laughs> oh, now that's what, <laughs> I'm not, what, what I wanted to ask you at all. Uh, Mrs. Goldberg thinks we ought to put an ad in the paper. Yes. Advertising a job that would pick this woman out. Yes, I, I know it's a long of shot. Of course it's a long shot. But we could try, and uh, giving your office is the place to call a right. If it's not too much trouble. Uh, what, Ed? Well... You say a governess something. I thought, uh, wanted a governess speaking English and French <laughs> to teach six-year-old boy French and take care of him. Perfect. Prefer a woman with child of her own of same age to be companion to boy. Wonderful. Must be American citizen. Yes, she is, if the child is. Uh, she's probably the only woman in the world to meet these specifications. Uh, yes, uh, her name? Uh, What's name? her name? Uh, Just hold on a minute, Chris. Mrs. Goldberg is looking for the note. Excuse me, tell him to wait a minute. Just hold on. She'll find it in a minute, I think. Darling, you didn't throw what I did with, with, with the note. Don't cut off, Chris. Don't cut off. Now, hold on. Yes. Oh, she, she has it. it, Chris. Now, just a minute. Hold it. on. Let's uh, see now. I got it. O-R-I-A-N. Uh, what is that? What is that? Uh, Orian Leland. Orian Leland, yes. Orian Leland, Chris. Orian. Yes, of course it's a beautiful name. <laughs> Chris wants to know if she is beautiful as her name. Oh, I, I, I don't know. I only got a slightly look. <laughs> well, find her, Chris, and you'll know. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> this is a very long chance, but it may work and bring David's mother back. And yet, if Molly knew what her coming back might mean for the Goldbergs, she might be less anxious to try it. The Johnson Wax Program with Bibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Marion and Jim Jordan as Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, the King's Men, and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with Do It Again.
When a man travels, he wants to know exactly where he is. When a woman travels, she wants to know exactly what to wear. And here at 79 Wistful Vista, one studying a road map and the other cutting out a dress for a vacation wardrobe, each intent on his own business, we find Fibber McGee and Molly. See now, we proceed along Highway 99 for 122 miles, then turn left at a red schoolhouse for a distance of five inches down to the hips. <laughs> then detour 20 miles because the regular road has six buttonholes. <laughs> now let me see. They start at the neckline and stop at the Patty Cake Hotel in Niagara. <laughs> Where the manager will greet you? With a belt in the back. Huh? Ah, <laughs> oh, dear. McGee, I'm afraid this dress pattern is a little too complicated for me. Mm-hmm. I'd have to call the dressmaker after all. Hand me the phone. Okay, Ma. Here. <laughs> Thank you. Hello, operator. Give me Miss Amelia Featherstitch at Wistful Vista 687. What? Oh, is that you, Mert? <laughs> Heavenly day. How's every little thing, Mert? It is, uh... What's that? Oh, not really. Oh, that's terrible, Mert. Well, well, what is it, Molly? Quiet, McGee, quiet. Tell me that again, Myrtle. Yes. Oh, Yes? Oh, dear, how perfectly awful. Oh, oh, come on, Molly, I always tell you. (laughs) What say, Myrtle? Yes, it simply ruins everything for me, Dad Rattus. <laughs> all my plans and work and all. Hey, Molly, for the love of Mike, what happened? Well, Mert says skirts are going to be two inches longer this year. Shucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it ain't as good as the stuff I do with Mert. <laughs> what, Myrtle? Oh, the dressmaker doesn't answer. Well, thank you anyway. Goodbye. <laughs> Well, McGee, you're going to have to help me with this dress. Okay, thread me needle, and I'll show you how my famous speedboat stitch goes. Speedboat stitch? Yeah, 40 knots an hour. (laughs) Don't you get it, Molly? Knots? You said... Ain't funny, McGee. (laughs) Helped a little bit. It's getting near the end of the season, and every laugh counts. Besides, I don't want to help... uh, I don't want you to help me sew. I want you to slip this dress on so I can see how I'm doing. Okay, just... How am I doing, by the way? (laughs) Yeah. Hey, what did you say? (laughs) Me put that dress on? Yeah. Oh, no. No, sir, not me. Why? What if somebody should come in? And I've been on this show too long to think they won't. (laughs) Now, listen, don't be silly. Take your vest off and slip this dress on. Oh, Molly, I don't want to slip into no dress. Gee, will it? McGee! You owe me that much. Why do I? Well, now, who was it that ruined my dress form by shooting it full of arrows? <laughs> Tell me that. Well, it was me in Gildersleeve. But Chuck's, it was the only thing we could find to shoot at. Two grown men shooting bows and arrows. For shame. Well, Gildersleeve had to do something with that bow and arrow. He bought it for his father for Father's Day, and his father couldn't use it. Why not? The instruction says to hold the bow in the left hand, the arrow in the right hand, and draw the feathered end back as far as the teeth. And he just couldn't do it. No... No strength? No teeth. <laughs> now, see here, dearie, that's enough nonsense. Here, slip this on. Oh, no, I, I don't want to... Ah, uh, okay. 
but, but lock the door first and pull down the shade. I will not. Anybody think this was the first time you ever had a dress on? When did I ever? You remember that masquerade party you went to as Mary Pickford? <laughs> yeah, that was different. I was coy that night. <laughs> I was just Take wearing... off your vest. Oh, now, Molly. That's better. Now hold your arms oh, up. Okay. That's a nice boy. Fine job for a man. Put... McGee, stand still a minute. Oh, well. There. Oh, my, it looks lovely on you, dear. Oh, <laughs> oh, my gosh, where can I hide? Where can I hide me, Molly? Oh, Quick. hush, Quick. hush, hush. Come in. It's the Bob Hope program. No, this is the Fibber McGee and Molly program. Oh, I saw you two girls through the window and thought it was Brenda and Cabina. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's enough. I've had enough. Hey, Billy Mills. Yeah? What are you going to play while I take this dress off? Outside of that, I love you. Oh! One thing that's welcome any time is a new product or a new idea that will save work. That's just as true in a home as it is in an industry. Look how successful Johnson's self-polishing glow coat is. Because it saved housewives millions of hours of work in taking care of their floors. And just as much of a work saver for you men is Johnson's sensational new auto polish, Car New. Car New does two jobs at once. Both cleans and wax polishes your car in one easy operation. Formerly, to do these jobs cost real money or several hours of hard work. Now, with Johnson's Car New, many car owners tell us they do both jobs in an hour. Imagine cleaning and wax polishing your car in one hour. Oh, if your car is very dirty, it may take you a little more, but you'll still say Car New is a miracle worker. As a matter of fact, thousands of the country's leading service stations are now using Car New for polishing customers' cars. There's only one way to find out how easy Car New is to use. What a beautiful showroom shine it gives your car. Try it yourself. Get a can tomorrow from your regular wax dealer, auto supply store, or service station. Remember, your car looks like new when you use Car New. Cleveland, then over to Buffalo. And... All right, McGee. Put the map down. Huh? I want you to try the dress on again. What? No, sir. Oh, come on. I ain't going to not again. Gee whiz, Molly, you want me to grow up to be a sissy? Well, it'd be nice if you just grew up. <laughs> don't be so... Oh, don't... Come in. Hi, mister. Oh, hello there, little girl. What you doing? Well, I was just about to put on my dress... Er, uh, oh, <laughs> nothing. Why? Well, George DeCopolis and Willie Toops and I are getting up a game of run, sheep, run, and we need a boy. You want to play here? <laughs> no, I don't think so. What made you think of me? Oh, I don't know, mister. 
We just tried to think of somebody we knew who looked kind of sheepish, I guess. <laughs> well, gee, thanks, sis. You mean I'm sort of gentle and kind and useful? <laughs> no. You're kind of dumb and frisky and always need a haircut. <laughs> okay, okay, I get it. Now, suppose you go play your mutton, mutton, who's got the mutton someplace else. <laughs> I says go someplace else. Now, look, sis, let's not quarrel. After all, we're going on a vacation next week, and I don't want to have any hard feelings. Okay, mister. Okay. Okay. Let's bury the machine gun, huh? You mean bury the hatchet. Oh, I know, but hatchet always sounds so corny somehow. Oh, no, it don't. Oh, yes, it does. Oh, no, it don't. Oh, yes, it does. Oh, no, it don't. Oh, say, mister. Huh? I got a phonograph in my bedroom. And you know what? No, what? My mama bought a recording of one of your broadcasts and... She plays it for me sometimes, I bet. Oh, she does, mm-hmm. eh? You, when you've been a good girl? No, when I've been bad. Huh? <laughs> uh-huh. Boy, does that keep me in line. I just can't take it. Go on, <laughs> If all the fresh kids like her were placed end-to-end, what I couldn't do with a hairbrush. Come on, McGee, slip the dress on again. Oh, Molly, I don't want to put that... Think of my dignity. Think of my pride. Think of the three bucks I'm saving on a dressmaker. Huh? Oh, well, there's that, too, I guess. Okay, I'll do it. Slip the garment to me, varmint. Take that cigar out of your mouth first. Okay. Hold your arms way up now. Okay. Up higher. Stop wiggling. Huh? Thought you had to wiggle putting on a dress. You always do. <laughs> Never mind what I always do. There, now don't sit down for a few minutes. I don't want it all split out in the hip. Why, Mrs. McGee, are you insinuating that I'm broader across the pistol pockets than you are? <laughs> Here comes somebody again. I'll run upstairs. Oh, stop fussing. Just turn around and face the wall. Come in. Hello there, daughter. Hello, Johnny. Oh, excuse me, ma'am. Where's Johnny, daughter? Why, he, uh... Oh, never mind, Molly. I'll come out. As long as it's just him. Well, here I am, old-timer. You want to make something out of it? (laughs) Nope. (laughs) But you do kind of look like a one-man revolt against Father's Day, Johnny. (laughs) Well, don't get the idea that he's enjoying wearing that dress, Mr. Old Time. No, I ain't exactly what you might call slip happy. <laughs> That's pretty good, Jenny. Er, Johnny. <laughs> that ain't the way I hear it. The way I hear it, one feller says to t'other feller, Hey, there. This here's the next to last Trevor McGee and Molly broadcast till after vacation, ain't it? Yep, says t'other fella. They only have one more week's show. <laughs> you see, kids, the, the point of the joke was in the phrase, week's show. Sort of a, a pun, you know. The casual li- listener would think it meant W-E-A-K, you see. Oh, stop explaining right? those jokes. <laughs> that better we catch on to them. All right, Johnny. Just didn't want you to muff it, that's all. Well, so long, daughter. Keep your girdle down, Johnny. 
Now, 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 keep your temper down, McGee. He was just kidding. Well, He's really a very nice old man. Yeah, he'd be a very clean-cut sort of a guy if I had a razor handy. Stop waving your arms around in my new dress well, and stand the... still whilst I do a little basting. Basting? Oh, no, you don't. You ain't going to pour no gravy over me. <laughs> Why, uh, basting is temporary stitches. Huh? Now, let me well, see. Hello here. there, Molly. Hello, Vic. Oh. Oh, <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Wilcox. Turn around, McGee. It's Mr. Wilcox. Hi, Harlow. Well, well, hello, Fibber. I didn't recognize... <laughs> oh, come on, come on, say it. <laughs> well, I, I, uh, I just wanted to tell you, if you're taking that motor tour this summer... <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> you mustn't forget to take along some Johnson's darn you... <laughs> Well, thank you for reminding us, Mr. Wilcox. We'll do that. <laughs> I hope so, because, as you know, car new will protect the finish from all road dust and rain and scratches. And Fibber can make the whole car shine like new with just a few minutes' work before you leave your hotel in the morning. <laughs> of course, all you have to do is apply it. <laughs> Let it dry and wipe it off. <laughs> oh, get a hold of yourself, <laughs> There's your car gleaming like a car. <laughs> well, as I always say, Johnson's car new is as sensational for cars <laughs> as Johnson's glow coat is for Fords and linoleum. <laughs> oh, boy, Fibber, do you look funny. <laughs> That absolutely doesn't. Take this dress off of me, Molly. Take it oh, off. Oh, now, take it easy, dearie. It oh. won't be long now. And besides, there isn't much likelihood of anybody else coming in to embarrass you because... Hey, take it off. Anybody at home oh. in there? You. Oh, it's Mrs. Uppington, Molly. Just if she sees me in this Take dress. it easy, McGee. She wouldn't talk. Oh, no. She's about as close-mouthed as a steam shovel. <laughs> and she digs up more dirt, too. <laughs> Now, calm yourself, dearie. Be nice to her, because I want her advice on this dress. Huh? I won't take it, but I want to hear it. Come in. Oh, how do you do, my dear? And Mr. McGee. Oh, it is Mr. McGee, isn't it? Yes. yes, the dear boy is helping me with my new dress. Oh, a model husband. Or is he just being a silly girl? How do you like the dress, Mrs. Uppington? Oh, May, it's so charming, so flattering, so chic. So what? And those touch sleeves are lovely, my dear. Oh, but here, let me set them in a little closer. Uh, have you some pins? Yes, here. Oh, thank you. You see, the real leg of mutton shoulder... What do you know about it, Uppy? You do so much more hawing than you do hemming. Ouch! Now, look out where you're sticking them pins. Oh, oh, excuse me. There, now, you see, Mrs. McGee? Yes, that does look better, doesn't it? Turn around, dearie, slowly. Now, look here, you two. I positively refuse to stand here much longer. Are you just trying to make me look foolish? Why, Mr. McGee, how can you say such a thing? Well... Make you look foolish? Yeah. <laughs> really, what a superfluous gesture. <laughs> <laughs> now, Mrs. McGee, I think the sides here are small gore right here. Careful, Uppy, you gored me enough. Ow! Hey, now, cut that out, Uppy. You jagged me again. Oh, really? So sorry. Mm. I think I see what you mean, Mrs. Uppington. Now, how about the skirt? Oh, he'll be all right for a minute or two, won't you, Mr. McGee? Yeah. Hey, what do you mean? You calling me a skirt? Skirt? Ow! Now, look here, Uppy. I don't mind your making a stab at helping Molly, but stab the dress, not me. You think I'm full of sawdust? Yes, you little darling. Oh. 
Now, keep quiet for just another minute. Well. How's the length of the skirt, Abigail? Well, personally, my dear, I'd like to see it a bit shorter, like this. Oh, another pin, please. I should say about up to here. Oh! Up in one more jab like that, and I'm... Of course, it's difficult to estimate the length of the skirt, Mrs. McGee. Those trouser legs of Mr. McGee's are a bit distracting, you know. <laughs> Trousers have always been kind of distracting to you, ain't they, up here? Now, McGee. <laughs> Is that any way to talk to a lady now? Uh, never mind, Mrs. McGee. Good day, my dear. And uh, Mr. McGee. Yes. I would suggest that you take that dress off before you stretch it too much. What do you mean? They're not wearing bustles this season. Good day. Take <laughs> this thing off, Molly. I'm going down to the pool room where men are men and a guy can strike a match on his pants. You get a dressmaker someplace. But my dressmaker doesn't answer the phone. Well, get another one. Ask somebody. Look in the classified. Look in the want ad. That's a good idea. Run out on the porch and get the paper, will you, dearie? In this Deanna Durbin outfit? Oh, sure. No, sir. You go out and get the paper. Don't be silly. Here. Put on my hat with the veil and nobody will know. Oh. <laughs> I've got to go upstairs and find another symbol to finish this trip. Dead, ratchet, dead. Oh, where'd that kid throw that paper? He ought to carry a little shovel with him and bury the paper under a rose bush where nobody... <laughs> oh, here it is. Thank goodness nobody saw me. Oh, Dad, rat that door. Shut. Oh, it's locked. If this ain't the worst... Hey, Molly, let me in. I ain't got no key, and even if I did, I couldn't get at it. Hey, Molly. Oh, shut. First I get wangled into putting on a dress, and then I get razzed by all my friends, and now I get locked out. Oh, oh Mrs. Roosevelt, if this is your day, you're welcome to it. The King's Men singing Ezekiel saw the wheel. Ezekiel saw the wheel and 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 the middle and the middle of the air. Ezekiel saw the wheel way up in the middle of the air. Ezekiel saw the wheel way in the middle of the air. Little wheel run by faith, and a big wheel run by the grace of God. It's a wheel and a wheel and a wheel and a wheel, way in the middle of the air. Some go to church for the sing and shout, way in the middle of the air. Before six months is all turned out, way in the middle of the air. Ezekiel saw the wheel, way up in the middle of the air. Ezekiel saw the wheel, way in the middle of the air. The little wheel run by faith, and a big wheel run by the grace of God. It's a wheel and a wheel and a wheel and a wheel. Way in the middle of the air. Let me tell you what a hypocrite is. Way in the middle of the air. You talk about me and you talk about you. Way in the middle of the air. Ezekiel saw the wheel. Way in the middle of the air. Ezekiel saw the wheel. Way in the middle of the air. The little wheel run by faith and the big wheel run by the grace of God. My children, one of these days, about twelve o'clock. Way up in the middle of the air. Up in the middle of the air, oh, Zeke, you saw the wheel, way in the middle of the air. 
A little wheel run by faith. And the big wheel run by the grace of God. There's a wheel and a wheel and a wheel and a wheel. Way in the middle of the Locked out. Oh, oh uh, madam. Excuse me, but I don't think the McGee's are at home. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> no, I, I imagine they've gone downtown shopping. Yes, they're leaving on their vacation next week. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I'm sure somebody must be home. <laughs> uh, are you a relative of McGee's, lady? Your voice has a familiar ring. Well, uh, are you Mr. Gildersleeve, the breezy young man who lives next door? <laughs> Why? Why, yes, I am. Breezy, eh? Mm-hmm. Did McGee say that I was breezy? <laughs> Not exactly. <laughs> he used the word windy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, incidentally, lady, I, uh, I might as well tell you that if you're trying to sell the McGee something... You're out of luck. Is that so? Oh, yes. <laughs> that little squirt McGee thinks the eagle on a quarter is the world's most beautiful creature. <laughs> He's got a bird sanctuary in his pants pocket. <laughs> <laughs> How amusing. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Oh, but come, come. A pretty girl like you. Mm-hmm. And I'll bet you are pretty under that veil. Oh, sure. <laughs> Why, why, you can't spend the afternoon beating on people's front doors. Uh, let's walk down to the drugstore and get a soda, eh? <laughs> why, uh, we might, uh, we might even get to be very good friends. Oh, really, I couldn't. My, my husband, you know, he's very jealous. Yes? <laughs> the last man I heard of earth was found floating down the river. <laughs> what? He, he was? Yes. Yeah. And I was with him. He had a lovely little snoo. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that, that was very good, yeah. <laughs> but uh, what was your name again? Uh, don't tell me now. Uh, let me guess. Uh, Gertrude? No. No. Uh, Lorraine? No. Uh, Beatrice? No. Well, it must be Daisy because you won't tell. <laughs> <laughs> For goodness sakes, McGee. Oh, hello, Mr. Gillis. Hello, Mrs. McGee. I, uh, I, I'm just talking to your charming little visitor here. Uh, now, tell me. To paraphrase an old joke, who is this lady you see me with tonight? <laughs> that's no lady, that's me husband. <laughs> McGee! Breezy, eh? Boy, wait till your wife hears about this Gildersleeve. <laughs> or do you want to pay me so much a month to keep quiet? <laughs> You're a hard man, McGee. <laughs> if you ever tell my wife... Oh, go on. I knew it was you all the time. <laughs> you never know such a thing. I did, too. <laughs> hey, Molly, you know what Gildersleeve said about Now, look, McGee, me? we've no time to talk. Huh? I got a dressmaker on the telephone, and she says to come right over. She can't get away to come here. Okay, wait till I run in and get out of this dress. No, no, no. There's no time for that. What? There'll be a cab here in a minute. I've got that dress basted up just where I want. Molly, I can't parade around town in this thing. Oh, boy, this is rich. Huh? Wait till I tell the boys down at the Elks. This will be something for them to get their teeth into. <laughs> Come on, McGee. Here 
there's our taxi. Molly, I can't go oh, in the taxi cab. Oh, you've got to. Here, let me take your arm so you won't trip and tear my dress. Oh, I have two, ladies. Oh, I forgot the street number, dearie, but it's right next door to the hospital. To the Wistful Vista Hospital, driver, and hurry. Uh, hospital, uh, just a minute, driver. Yeah? Uh, you better drive fast. That lady with the veil is, uh, well, you know. <laughs> oh, I get you, buddy. I'm a family man myself, and I know an emergency when I see it. Yes, I thought you would. <laughs> Isn't he driving awfully fast, dearie? I'll say he is. We just went through a stoplight. I better tell him to slow down. Oh, driver. Driver. Hold everything, lady. I'll get you there in time. I've got five myself. <laughs> hey, Molly. This dress is still full of pins, you know. I can't see. Ouch! Oh, Dad Radis. I wouldn't go through this again for anything in the world. <laughs> I know just how you feel, lady. That's what my wife says every time. Fibber and Ollie will be back in just a moment. When you left your kitchen a little while ago, did you happen to notice your linoleum floors? Were they something to be proud of or ashamed of? Are the colors still fresh and bright, or are they faded and gloomy? Is the floor sparkling and gleaming, so you're happy to work there? Or is it the kind of floor that never seems to get clean? Those of you who already use Johnson's self-polishing glow coat know how easy it is to have beautiful kitchen floors with practically no work. Those of you who don't know glow coat, order a can tomorrow. Pour it onto your floors, spread it around, and let it dry. That's all there is to it. There's no rubbing or buffing with glow coat. In 20 minutes, it dries to a beautiful, hard, long-lasting polish that brings out the colors of your linoleum, saves you cleaning work, and makes the linoleum itself last practically forever. You really couldn't ask more than that from any polish, could you? Remember the name? Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat. It's spelled G-L-O hyphen C-O-A-T. <laughs> You want to run downtown with me? Where are you going, dearie? I got to go to a music store and get a piece of music and then come home and start practicing. What music? It's a request number. (laughs) Next week being our last show for the summer, people have been writing in from all over the country saying they could hardly wait to hear my swan song. (laughs) Good night. Good night, all. speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat, inviting you all to join us again next Tuesday night. Good night. This is the National Broadcasting Company.
good double, good double mint gum. Double fresh flavor, double smooth too. Double mint's double delightful to chew. You love double mint gum. Get double everything rolled into one. You love double mint gum. Double good double mint gum. Yes, you love the double fresh taste and double smooth chewing goodness of double mint gum. Chewing double mint just naturally makes things go more pleasantly for you. So remember, you love double mint gum. Get double everything rolled into one. You love double mint gum. Double good double mint gum. Ladies and gentlemen, the railroad hour. Here comes the summer show train. The Association of American Railroads, the same railroads that bring you most of the food you eat, the clothes you wear, the fuel you burn, and all the other things you use in your daily life, brings you the Railroad Summer Show Train, starring Gordon McRae and featuring Lucille Norman with the music of Carmen Dragon and the orchestra, script by Gene Holloway, and the choir under the direction of Norman Luboff. And now, here is our star, Gordon McRae. Thank you, Marvin Miller, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight, we're going to ride the summer show train back through time and memory to another year that you lived yesterday. Tonight's destination, 1934. Back in 1934 And maybe you thought of Ruby Keeler as you sang it Or maybe you thought of Dick Powell And in 1934 You first saw Claudette Colbert And Clark Gable And it happened one night And those were the days when Ethel Merman William Gaxton and Victor Moore Opened on Broadway in Anything Goes And sang the wonderful Cole Porter song In olden days A glimpse of stocking was looked on As something shocking Now heaven knows Anything goes Good authors too Who once knew better words Now only use ordinary words Writing prose Why anything goes The world has gone mad today And good's bad today And black's white today And day's night today When most guys today That women prize today Are just silly gigolos So though I'm not a great romancer I know that you're bound to answer When I propose Oh, anything goes In olden days A glimpse of stocking Was looked on something shocking Now heaven knows Anything goes Good authors too Who once knew better words Now only use ordinary words Writing prose Anything goes the world has gone mad today, and good's bad today, and black's white today, and day's night today, when most guys today that women prize today are just silly gigolos. 
So though I'm not a great romancer, I know that you're bound to answer when I propose. It's plain to see that practically anything goes. There were serious things going on abroad in 1934 more serious than a lot of us realized at the time. It is the 25th of February. You are standing in Munich watching a crowd of over one million Nazis take an oath of unswerving loyalty to Chancellor Adolf Hitler. The oath is being pronounced by Rudolf Hess. stands in a nearby window watching. His shadow falls across a portion of the crowd. A shadow that will grow until it falls like a blight across half the world. Yes, the thunder of a distant war could be heard beyond the sound of voices that February day in 1934. But everything was not serious and solemn back in those days. Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire danced the Continental on movie screens everywhere. Hillbilly bands were very much in fashion, and so were tangos. And when you had a big date, you ladies put on your favorite turbans, and perhaps this was one of the songs you crooned as you danced to the music of your favorite band. The moon was yellow And the night was a smile brought us together And I was wondering whether We'd meet again someday The moon was yellow And the song was sung That vocal inspiration Gave me the inclination To give my heart away In 1934, the theatrical pages of your newspaper hailed a new performer named Pinky Tomlin, who wrote a song you enjoyed all year. The object of my affection can change my complexion from white to rosy red. 
many times she holds my hand and tells me that she's mine. And in New York City on March 17th, an operation was performed that was the marvel of the country. Is the operation finished, Doctor? Yes, it was just completed. Well, how is the woman? She'll recover. But we removed 1,203 pieces of hardware from her stomach. That woman had swallowed 734 tacks, 89 pieces of glass. She'd eaten nails, bolts, pins, beads. You know, I'm going to remember that woman as long as I live. In my solitude, In 1934, if you had the money and were in New York, you went to see the big musical hit, Revenge with Music, starring Libby Holman. And you left the theater humming a wonderful ballad by Arthur Schwartz and Howard Dietz that went like this. You and the night and the music fill me with longing for love. By the stars in the heaven above. You and the night and the music thrill me, but will we be one after the night and the music?
Yes, the year 1934 was certainly crowded with memories. And many of you will remember the time your heart skipped a beat or two at the sight of a streamlined train that was triumphantly touring the country. Here was the last word in modern railroading, a sleek thing of beauty that sped over the rails like a dream. Yes, America had its first streamlined train in 1934, and today, no longer startling, more than 300 of these trains are operating safely, comfortably, and efficiently on railroads all across the country. The streamlined train is but one example of the never-ending progress which has given us today's railroad. Since the first streamlined train flashed across the country, the railroads have spent more than $10 billion for such things as new, more powerful, and more efficient diesel and steam locomotives, new, more comfortable, more luxurious passenger cars, new, bigger, and better freight cars, new signals and traffic controls, new rail, new yards, new shops, new and improved facilities of every sort. One result of this investment in better railroads was that when the call came in the Second World War, the railroads were able to move 90% of all war freight and 97% of all organized military travel. Railroads have not only enlarged capacity and improved their services, but they have so greatly increased their efficiency that the rise in railroad rates has been only about half as great as the increase in the level of railroad wages and the price of fuel and supplies. And because railroads operate most efficiently when they operate most nearly to capacity, the more railroads are called upon to haul, the better able will they be to hold down the cost of America's basic transportation. Which is another reason why it's good business to do business with the railroads. And now back to Gordon McRae, Lucille Norman, and the summer show train's trip to the year 1934. Can it be the trees that fill the breeze with rare and magic perfume? Oh, no, it isn't the trees, it's love in moon. 1934, the year Bing Crosby introduced Love and Bloom and gave Jack Benny a new melody to haunt the strings of his violin. The name Dillinger was in the headlines, and Rear Admiral Richard E. Byrd had to be rescued by a tractor over a hundred miles south of Little America. There was revolution in Spain, unrest in Romania, and murder in Vienna. X3, X3, Chancellor Dolphus murdered by Austrian Nazis! X3 people! The shape of things to come was beginning to loom ominously on the horizon. But in 1934, American moviegoers saw Grace Moore on the screen for the first time and took to their hearts the song she sang that became identified with her forever.
Here's another melody that should make you remember 1934. And here's an event that occurred I'm sure everyone will recall. Just put you down right here for a minute, young lady. While I go and speak to your father. Is everything all right? Oh, everything is fine. Of course, we're going to have to watch closely, take every precaution, but I think they're going to be just fine. Think of it. You are the only man in the world today who is the father of living quintuplets, Mr. Dion. You are the pictures. You're wonderful. You ought to be in pictures, oh, what a hit you would be. Yes, on May 28, 1934, Yvonne, Annette, Cecile, Emily, and Marie Dion were born and became legendary overnight. In 1934, the Queen Mary was launched, and during the celebration that followed, maybe you danced to a new tune by Rogers and Hart that became an overnight sensation. Suddenly appeared before. 
into time and memory. Sixteen years since the Quints were born, since von Hindenburg died, since the Nazis pledged their loyalty to Hitler. special era that can entirely claim the Strauss waltzes. Once they were written, they belonged to the ages. Yet one particular waltz seemed a symbol in Vienna, one particular waltz that sang of happier days that had been before, and would and must come again. Here it is as it was sung in 1934 in the year's most lavish operetta, The Great Waltz. It's you 
gentlemen, for joining us. In just a moment, I'll tell you what we have in store for you next week. The Summer Show Train is written by Gene Holloway and brought to you each week at this time by the American Railroads. Lots of things have happened to all of us since Wagon Wheels was our favorite song of the moment. Progress was taking place all around us, and for the most part, we took it all for granted. But the tremendous strides of railroads, uh, our railroads have made since 1934, are reflected today in greater savings for you. In the past 15 years, more than $10 billion of railroad money has brought about a greater efficiency and made possible greater economies of railroad operation. In the long run, these railroad savings have meant savings for you, whether you ride the train or buy or sell the goods that are shipped by rail. And that's why so many people find it's good business to do business with the railroads. The song, It Might As Well Be Spring, won an Academy Award in 1945. And next week, the summer show train is going to take you back five years to the year 1945 to relive some of its most interesting happenings and hear many of its greatest songs. Songs like, That's For Me, Laura, and If I Loved You. So folks, be sure to join us again next Monday and ride with us aboard the summer show train back to 1945. All aboard! Well, it looks as though we're ready to pull out. So until next week, goodbye. Gordon McRae is currently starring in the Warner Brothers Technicolor Western, The Return of the Frontiersman. The voices of Dr. Defoe and Mr. Dion were impersonations, and the Nazi oath and voices were recordings. It's with great pleasure that the Railroad Hour Summer Show Train adds its congratulations to radio station WCSH in Portland, Maine, which this week celebrates the completion of 25 years of broadcasting. And now for Lucille Norman, Carmen Dragon and the orchestra, the Norman Luboff Choir, and our star Gordon McRae. This is Marvin Miller with a hearty invitation from the American Railroads to join us again next week and ride the summer show train back to the year 1945. And now stay tuned for your Monday night of music on NBC. Jane Froman is the guest of The Voice of Firestone tonight on NBC. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll return next week for the old-time radio daytime shows. Be sure to listen to our other programs on the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. Mm-hmm.